This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry, the gang. They've been working all night to bring this show together today. I didn't even go home. You didn't? No. You slept here last night? You got a cot? Is sleeping part of work? I think it depends on what job you do. No, no. I mean, does it help? I mean, it's helping you to prepare for the day. Yeah. So technically, are we working as we sleep? I am. Should we renegotiate? Are you just asking if we can still be on the clock while we're asleep? Yeah, basically. And then driving (laughs) in. I mean, I'm driving for the purpose of working. Should I be compensated for the commute? Well, That's the deal I want. I want to be making money while I'm not even conscious. But this, and I really have a, a bone to pick on this because oh, wow. your our work is we have to listen to stuff. Oh yeah, that we have to talk about constantly. So last night at eleven o'clock at night, when I should be sleeping, mm-hmm. I'm instead reading the news about the craziest news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. going on. And did you get paid any extra Nothing. for that? Nothing. My Got goodness. zero for it. Then I drive here in the morning and have to listen to more of it. Now, I guess they would say you don't have to. Mm. Well, but if you want to be informed to talk about some of this stuff, you have to. And mm. that, but then, or, or, then you, you got to be here. Wrong. And more importantly, to have a variety of things to talk about. Yeah. Because you can talk about whatever's in the news, yeah. but that after a while you're done with that and you have to have the story about whoever robbed whatever donut shop and did whatever. Because right. that's kind of fun too. So. Exactly. But then you've got somebody we have to figure – I mean, we're not Nancy Pelosi, right? We can't just talk for eight hours straight. In high heels. The high heel part would be the hardest She wore part. heels mm. for eight hours. She stopped for a mint. So, oh, i got to get a mint. So do, you, she, do you realize how dehydrated you have to be to begin that process? She didn't even start – yeah, oh, that's true. You'd have to dehydrate yourself. Because the rule – I was reading this morning. The rules say that you can take uh, – you're given a minute – basically to speak and then everyone else has to give you time that's why they all sat behind her supporting her yeah. but also at some point someone has to and i give time to blah blah you know and they so she keeps going that's there's these arcane uh, rules of wow. the filibuster so she keeps having to go through these rules processes yeah. as she's reading letters horrible. and I mean, horrible but at the same time what does it mean but see do you think she spent hours and hours and hours and hours preparing no she has a staff speech? Just people. Right. And then they just can now just talk about this. And someone's in the other room just now talk about printing this. off letters. Here, read this. Read this. Read this. Yeah. Eight hours of standing. So, yeah, but we have to actually work. That's why I'm saying when I go to bed at night after reading all this stuff, my brain is working all night. And then I wake up in the morning, you'd think refreshed and ready. No, it's just a jumbled mess. Do you know what would cheer you up? <laughs> what? A parade. Oh yeah, I think a parade mm. would be great. Did you see the South or the North Koreans had a parade? They released yeah. the footage from their military parade. Thirteen thousand troops, oh. somewhere around one hundred and fifty vehicles. The last time they did this, the CIA put out these pictures saying we think this missile warhead is cardboard. Yeah, the cardboard and one. these mm. guns are fake. Those they aren't guns. Those are yeah. it's 
PVC pipe. I've decided that I'm only ever going to watch a parade again if Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon are the commentators. You liked that. I loved it. Loved it. But this would make you could tell President Trump's licking his chops because he wants a little North Korean. Do you think he wants the little like the the badge of medals that certain dictators have worn? Maybe a hat with glasses and those those shoulder fringy whatever those are called. Uh, What do they call those? Shoulder fringes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were sure. big in the 80s. Ah, I love those shoulder it, fringes. An interesting quote from Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. Hold it. The John Kennedy from well, Louisiana? It's a different John Kennedy. But hmm. He's from Louisiana. Okay. He's a Republican. He says, I think confidence is silent and insecurity is loud. America is the most powerful country of all human history. Everyone knows it. We don't need to show it off. That's a great point. That was the other day when he was asked about the parade. Yeah. Confidence is silent. I mean, France has the parade, and the president liked it when he was there. He thought that was pretty cool. Well, and I guess his argument is we've got to honor and celebrate our veterans and our military. And we do that. But you do it. But you also – you can't bring a bunch of, you know, 50-ton vehicles or whatever they are. He wanted tanks down Pennsylvania for his inauguration. It'll just ruin the road, right? Yeah, and they're like, we can't do that. And you got to take all the lights down. D.C., they paid for a 1991 – uh, into the Persian Gulf War yeah. parade, they're not doing any parades. They're not paying for any of this, they said. So. What they really ought to do to make it very simple um, is just put everybody in convertibles, all of the greatest Medal of Honor winners, yep. and then just drive them down the street in New York. Right. And but just have a ticker tape parade. Do they do this on Veterans Day? Yeah, that'd be great. Don't we have a aren't there Veterans Day parades? Yeah, but that's not a, I don't think that's what he's looking for. I think he's looking for tanks. Missiles. It's really not. I don't know if it's a smart oh, no, idea no, to yeah, bring he, a nuclear warhead. He may want to that. Washington. Drag it out of the ground of Montana and put it down next <laughs> to the White House. Let's do this. It seems like that would be a terrorist target. There's also the expense of, of transporting all this stuff because it's not in D.C. No, yeah, D.C. is so. not. Yeah, but you know what? Can a guy not have a parade? You're the president. You, you would think you could snap and have anything you want happen. Well, that's what someone thought when he went into office. Yeah, Pence. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the headline. By the way, Pence is now having trouble with the whole Olympic thing. Yeah, figure skaters are coming after him. Uh, let's, yeah, let's get to the headlines. What else should we be paying attention so, to? So White House officials officially knew for months of the domestic abuse allegations against a top aide who resigned Wednesday, according to a CNN report. Rob Porter, White House staff secretary, has denied the allegations against him, which came from two of his ex-wives. According to CNN, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly and other top officials became aware of the allegations by early fall of last year. Oh, really? The White House was defending Porter even after he, after he resigned. Trump himself reportedly found out about the allegations this week. In a statement later Wednesday night, Kelly said he was shocked by the new allegations released today against Rob Porter. Uh, and by the way... Um his wife, his ex-wife. Which one? Willoughby. Okay. Is that her name? Willoughby? I believe Willis so. B? Something like that, yeah. But she's like, it makes sense why everybody thinks he's incredible, because he really is incredible uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. He is brilliant professional, and you can trust him professionally. Personally, <laughs> train wreck. Mm. But so, I mean, that, I guess, and that's one of the dilemmas of humanity is he's got all the degrees, he's got all the accolades, he looks the part, and then at home he's violent. Hmm. I mean, that's, everybody has problems, but this is, this is messed. This is sad. Now, Porter's it's denying sad. the allegations. Yeah. His wife, this is all in the Daily Mail. 
they uh, had both interviews, I think, and they yeah. had a photograph of one of his ex-wives and her face. She had, uh, like, black, black eyes. eyes. And in the face of that photograph, Porter's still saying, he goes, totally taken out of context. Those bruises came from a different situation. Uh, it's sad. So I don't know. And again, this duplicity, it's, a, it, you know, not the violence, but right. we all do stupid things privately that we don't do publicly. Pool noodles. You're right. But it's a, the president, I guess, they knew about it a year ago. But what, how? when do you react to something? When well, do you, what do you do? Right. Is it accusations? Is it real? Right. I'm not sure how, how you approach that. Yeah. So, the Senate struck a two-year budget deal Wednesday. The $400 billion proposal includes whopping spending increases on both the Pentagon and domestic and federal programs. Um, this out of the Associated Press. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell hailed the deal as a significant bipartisan step forward, while Senate Minority mm. Leader Chuck Schumer lauded it as a genuine breakthrough. Really? The, the bill does not, however, include a path to citizenship for dreamers, the undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children. The omission sets up a potential standoff between Schumer and his counterpart in the House. Uh, Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi has pledged not to support any funding of a bill that does not include protections for dreamers. She had her eight-hour filibuster. If you want to sub- watch that, it's probably on C-SPAN. Pelosi buster. <laughs> yeah. And she set a record by doing that, too. Oh, the previous she? record was like five hours and 15 minutes back in 1906 or something like that. Now, I thought uh, Mr. Cruz did a good job on that one. That was, oh, in, the oh, that was in the Senate. Different. McConnell left open the possibility of a resolution for Dreamers through the amendment process, but there's no guarantee the House would pursue a similar avenue. If the spending bill does not pass both chambers of Congress, the government will shut down tonight. Uh, let me make sure I got this straight, though. But no. Cruz didn't do it in High Hills, right? No, but he did read Dr. Seuss. Attaboy. He does Dr. have great Cruz. calves, too. Just saying. That was a side note. <laughs> he might, you know those little like uh, step bikes you can get where yeah. you sit down uh-huh. in your chair and pedal? Maybe he had one of those. <laughs> in heels. You would think you wouldn't want to Other people also jumped much. in and helped him, too. Like like holding him up? Well, no. He'd step down. Another senator would step oh, in and keep he talking. he could use the restroom. It was like a team effort. Yeah, that's great. Tag Whereas team. Pelosi. Did it by herself. Now, she's also facing a, a very... Uh, uh, a stiff primary challenge. Oh, is she in San Francisco? So really? this might be some of that where she feels like because she's been involved in all these negotiations. Oh, for these bills. So she she knows that she she's knows, contributed oh, yeah. to this, she but she's not going to support it because oh, yeah. she needs to make sure the Dreamers are involved because this, there's a person coming after her in San Francisco where her district is, and she wants to hold many, on to her seat. Many would say she's probably one of the most um, effective politicians. Of our time. Right. She was in for a long time. Mm-hmm. And got a lot of stuff done. And some are saying it's time to go. Yeah, and that's that's the other point. So is, she's trying to thanks, fight that off. Now we need new something new. President Trump and the Republican Party are feeling the love. 70% of Americans say the U.S. economy is excellent or good in the wow. most recent Quinnipiac University survey. Yeah. The highest percentage to respond that way since the question was first added to the poll in 2001. Whoa. Wow. It's up from 66% in January. I guess it also shows how few people know anything about the stock market. Well, yeah. The latest survey also marked the first time Americans have said Trump is more responsible for the state of the economy than President Obama. 48 to 41. Trump is personally seeing the boost, too. His approval rating is the highest it's been in seven months at 40%, although it's still nowhere near the magic 50% mark, as the uh, person who put the poll together comments yeah. on. GOP also boasts its highest favorability rating since Trump inaugur- is on his inauguration, which could mean, like, what, 10%? Yeah. 
since it's been pretty low. I'm just joking. The, I don't the, know what the number the is. The funny thing, this I guess this is this has got to drive Democrats crazy. It's going up because he says everything wrong, mm-hmm. and then what? You just do the couple of economic things. Now you're all up to forty percent. Or yes, what was it? Yesterday, two days ago, he's talking about, hey, maybe we should have a shutdown. Oh yeah, I mean, he and says then a few hours conference. later, like the White House is like, no, 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 we don't want a shutdown. So you're like, okay, so he's just <laughs> talking. What's he doing? Does he but know what's going on? Maybe that's it. We're getting the point that it's really about the economy. Stupid. Who oh, said wait. that? That would be uh, that Bill, Bill Clinton. Clinton. Yes. Yeah. And finally, for three thousand dollars, patrons at one of Boston's uh, a Boston restaurant can order a burger that comes with an engagement ring on the side of it. How much? Three thousand dollars. A hamburger and a ring. Wow. Polly's in the city's north end says, with 48 hours notice, the restaurant's Big Boy Burger will arrive and a 7 eighths carat ring nestled inside the bun. You're a big boy now. The ring will come framed with round diamonds and a 14 karat gold band. The restaurant says the burger is part of a Valentine's Day special. Restaurant owner Paul Barker says there's no con- uh, confirmed orders so far. Yeah, I wonder But there why. are several people very interested. Where did you get that ring, <laughs> Big Boy Burger? Or, 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 or you're, you're having a conversation. You need to check under the pickle. <laughs> that just, so... just rifle through the lettuce. Come on, just get it out of the way, honey. No, 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 don't eat that. <laughs> That's your ring. I Can thought you... it was an onion ring. <laughs> how do you get? I mean, how do you look your wife in the eye when mm. you're? What you thought was a great Valentine's Day gift was a hamburger, yeah. and this ring. Mm. Seven-eighths of a carrot. Yeah. What, you couldn't go a full eight-eighths? You couldn't get a whole carrot? Matt, crazier things have happened. You've had people getting married at a Taco Bell. That's true. So. Without a ring. Just saying. And not only that, but in a wrapper wedding dress. Like a Taco Bell wrapper wedding dress. Yeah. That's pretty sad. That's why we were talking uh, marriage counseling today. (laughs) Pre-marriage counseling. Because... If you love your partner enough to get her a ring and a hamburger, you may as well want that make that marriage work by by working the marriage. Did you guys get pre-marriage counseling? No. Did you get post-marriage counseling? Uh, no. No comment. <laughs> Don't even have current marriage counseling. I did not want to go there. Well, we'll be talking about that in a bit. Um, but, boy, lots of other news. I, I almost can't... I don't know what to think. There was a U.S. airstrike against Syria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Retaliatory, they say. Yeah. So that makes – I mean that's like we have – they have to say that because right. you don't want it to be provocating. No, provo- no, no, no. Provoking. Right. Yeah. Or preemptive. Yeah. It could be preemptive. Maybe they knew something. Maybe. Just always kind of weird because, you know, the history of these sort of drone strikes. It's but this would uh, – this is another parties. sign that, you know – you're you're in a war even if you pretend like you're not. That's the other situation with the parade. Yeah. Is that, again, the last one we had, 1991, Persian Gulf, done, we right. won, here's a parade. We're not done with the wars. We're currently in wars, so what's the parade for? Oh, we're not in the Syria. We're not in all the wars. <laughs> Pretty much. And we have it. That's the problem is we can't finish a war. These, these wars, like, don't finish. Right. It's like Monopoly game. That just seems to go on. Oh, Monopoly on. can finish. You just flip the board and walk away. It's over. Hmm. hmm. See? That's how you finish that's, Monopoly. That's how you play, huh? <laughs> the game might be over, but some of the underlying issues might not be over. 
Oh, they go on forever. That's called family. <laughs> Is that you're giving us a lot of information about your home life? Not really. We don't play board games. I used to play Monopoly by myself. Wow, that's did, a lot of information, too. <laughs> sad thing is he never won. Really? Not once. And the board often ended upside down. And you charged yourself when you for rent on Boardwalk. That's ridiculous. Did you – Would when you would play by yourself, would you rotate to the different spots on the board? Like would you go sit at a different part of the board as you played a different person? I would play as if – I would play as myself, but then I would also play as somebody else, too. See, this was Would the you beginning. take on those personas as you played when it was your turn? And there was no mercy. I I played as if I was playing against a real person. Wow. Well, except it was yourself. Yeah. I am a real person. He did say as if. Well, but you also would know your real motives and you would know your real gamesmanship. Oh, wow. No, 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 no. If, if I had enough money to buy a property, I would buy the property. That was the rule. Yes. So you didn't really have to buy it. You didn't play the game like a normal player would then. Because most people like would look at it and go, oh, I'll, I'll skip that. Maybe you take some strategy, see if I can save that money and, and trade up to something else. You set a, a distinct rule and play yep. like no one would actually play. Oh, the, see, here's the thing about Monopoly. I, there's no one way to play that game. I don't, know, I don't know another family that plays it the same way that we do. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people hmm. just, like, I think they just follow the rules. Actually, when I would play with my family, uh, you'd have people that maybe an hour into it would get tired of playing, and so they would sell off all of their properties to somebody else to say, let's team up, and then you wouldn't see them again. Yeah, then that's how, that was their exit strategy. Because they still, they still wanted to win, but they just didn't want to have to play. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a fun idea. <laughs> Monopoly's best with a time limit. Yeah. Let's play for an hour. I love speed, Monopoly. And then we're done. Yeah. Now they have a version of Monopoly that's encouraging cheating. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's really? a cheater's edition of Monopoly. It'll be coming out soon. So that one is a little more true to life then. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. Like you go, look over there, and then you reach into the bank and take like a 20. Yeah. It's wow. Cheating. I once uh, went directly to jail for embezzlement because I was a banker mm. that would always uh, give two for you and one for me. Wow. And they didn't catch on until about halfway through the game when we ran out of money. Like, where'd all the 20s go? So you're hmm. the reason why the free parking yeah. pot dwindles oh, yeah. quickly. Yeah. And then sadly, I was also the guy that um, would take the money away from the game. You must so, have been the top hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Because I was like the only eight-year-old kid with a monocle. <laughs> so... I would then – I would not only you know embezzle money and steal money. I would then take the money. You were the snootiest eight-year-old on the block. So before I would tip over – I didn't want to tip over the game because that would ruin it for everybody. But I would take about half the money with me. No, you wouldn't tip over the game. You would make Jeeves, yeah. your uh, servant, do Jeeves, it. Jeeves, tip over the game. <laughs> and then I'd move on. Oh, it's so sad. Well, uh, if you're thinking of getting married or you know somebody that is, you might want to stick around. Our next guest is going to be talking to us about pre-marriage counseling. There's some uh, state laws being passed here in the state of Utah that will give a discount on a marriage license if you do uh, participate in pre-marriage counseling. We'll talk about why it's valuable and uh, what really you need to make sure you know before you get married. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Americans receive education and training before uh, they get their driver's license. Yet when those same people seek a marriage license, relatively few of them receive any education uh, on how to establish a successful marriage. Here to talk with us about the benefits of uh, pre-marriage education and counseling and how it would become more uh, common in the state of Utah, for example, they are actually making a law about pre-marriage counseling. Um, and and uh, I guess it's a uh, it's already suggested that we spend some time getting some counseling, but in the end, we don't we don't always know what that means, A, and we don't know the benefits of it. So joining us to talk about it is Dr. Alan Hawkins. He is the Camilla E. Kimball Endowed Professor of Family Life at Brigham Young University and um, is uh, an expert on the subject. Alan, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for your interest. You bet. This is a, this is interesting because in the state of Utah, they're now pushing through some legislation. Um, I guess is it is it – it's not – demanding that people get pre-marriage counseling. It's just suggesting that if you do, you'll get a discount on your marriage license. That's correct. Um, and there's no state that that uh, requires... Yeah, you can't your, require it. That's right. Um, so uh, it's, it's a bill that's working its way through the legislature that uh, would provide couples a $20 discount uh, if they invest in... Uh, premarital counseling or premarital education, and maybe it's worthwhile yeah, uh, talking about the difference. What's the difference between the two? So, uh, sometimes uh, it's not very often, but some couples uh, kind of are, are struggling with some things or anticipating some issues, maybe bringing yeah. into some some issues or problems into the relationship, and will actually seek out uh, a counselor, a therapist, uh, for two or three or four sessions, yeah. maybe even more. To really work specifically on some things, um, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's not done very often. Much more uh, uh, common is uh, to take uh, a class mm-hmm. um, uh, on how to communicate more effectively and understanding each other and um, uh, just building up those skills and the knowledge yeah. uh, that, uh, that are needed for a good relationship. We think um, nationwide about a third uh, of couples do that before they marry. Um, uh, Most commonly, they seek it out from uh, uh, their uh, pastor, their minister. A lot of churches have official uh, educational programs they send their people to. Yeah, many churches do uh, require that uh, before you would wed under the auspices of the church. And and, uh, the research suggests that those programs done in religious settings are, are just as effective as those that are done in secular settings. Yeah, it's so interesting because I do a lot of uh, work in this field too, and I think I go. It's just mind blowing. I'll go. In fact, right now they're asking me to go speak at a bridal show. Yeah, and um, it's honestly in my world, it's it's kind of useless because they're all there buying china or like ch- checking out their flowers and their right. dresses. And then their mothers are always like, "Oh, you've got to go learn. Let's go. Let's go learn from Matt." And the brides come over and they almost can't fathom having a problem. Yeah. And so it's almost like you need you need almost you need to allow them maybe 3 months into the marriage to also get a $20 discount <laughs> well, if they would then go right then. We actually right when they do feel the specify pain. that um you you need to take this uh this educational class. Um 
and you you need to do it at least fourteen days before you yeah, get the that marriage might be license. <laughs> now, I wanted to do it more. I wanted I to specify a month, but uh, people say, "No, let's not put up uh, any barriers." That's and sometimes they don't know about the yeah. possibilities until. Is uh, there a later difference on. then in your eyes between? Call it between the counseling and the education. Is is pre? We we have more a lot of data. It seems like on premarriage education. Do we have much data on premarriage counseling? You know, I've looked for it and uh, I see very little. There was a little bit done uh, decades ago, maybe yeah. thirty years ago. Um, but uh, you know, the the overall research on the effectiveness of, of couple counseling, yeah. um, you know, shows that when both of them are invested, it can be very helpful. Yeah, very, very successful. powerful. Yeah. It's also um, it seems like uh, there's so many now couples, and I've heard different statistics about attachment disorders, people that are coming into the relationship without a real strong ability to attach, yeah. and this might. You know, at least get you on a road where you can get to attachment. Faster. Right, well, and we tend to think about uh, engaged couples as they approach the altar um, as being, you know, as having stars in their eyes and uh, no serious problems. Right. The reality is quite different, as you mentioned. We know uh, a number of individuals uh, really do struggle to build that strong attachment with somebody, despite even you know the real love that they yeah. feel. Um, we also know that uh, many, many couples bring uh, pretty serious challenges and problems into the relationship from, uh, from previous relationships, from uh, personal mental health problems. You know, there's a whole range of things. And uh, what, the, what the research is showing more and more is that uh, many uh, couples – start out a marriage at uh, really kind of lower levels of satisfaction and lower levels right. of quality. Uh, and uh, what's most fascinating to me is that if you work your way backwards from the divorces, most divorces come from uh, uh, from couples who started out uh, at a pretty uh, in a pretty rocky place. Yeah, it's almost like they brought they brought they the, brought them the holes in. Right. You know, now we do have instances you know, where things were going well and then something happened and there was a rapid deterioration. But the most common situation uh, are marriages that kind of started off not in the best place and mm. over time yeah. just kind of um, uh, disintegrate. What would be – what? so if anyone's out there shopping like pre-marriage education or counseling, what are the things that you'd want to make sure are included in, in the learnings? Well, most of the most of the uh, formal programs that are out there um, uh, uh, include the, the things that you would want. Uh, you do want to increase your skills. Yeah, you need um, tools, don't you? Th- those communication skills, those problem-solving skills, uh, are really important. Um, one of the things that I think is very valuable, and uh, and I think many, if not uh, all, of the religiously based programs, you know, they they will include those kinds of things. But they'll also talk about the principles and the rules involved in marriage. You know, there are rules That's right. that you follow uh, in marriage, and if you're not ready to sign on to those rules, yeah. um, you know, about being nice to each other, being absolutely faithful and loyal to each other, uh, making the other person the most important person in your life. You know, those are the rules. That's, what, that's how this works. <laughs> that's how it works. And yeah. I think um, th- these religious programs, I think, have a very strong understanding of that and can do a good job 
of helping people learn about that. Um, you know, we can't take commitment for granted right. uh, anymore. Uh, and so I think that needs to be a part uh, of what uh, what we talk about. That's huge. The commitment part, it's true because um, divorce, I mean, wasn't an option for for centuries. It's yeah. just you didn't do it. And then frowned upon right. uh, for a long time. But uh, now that sense of permanence is – um, it's it's not one of those fundamental elements no, uh, of marriage. And we also know that for many people, um, their entrance into marriage is, is kind of a little closer to a slide than yeah. a decide. Right. Um, that uh, they kind of just end up there rather than, uh, you know, kind of face that uh, big, the most important, biggest, most transformative decision that we ever make. And and really align themselves and say, okay, I'm all in. Yeah. For for too many uh, couples these days, there there tends to be this kind of more gradual slide into it where they say, well, gee, it seems like we're kind of uh, living like married couples, and and people are expecting of that, and our parents are saying, so when are you going to do it? You know. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of say, well, you know, uh, okay, we well, yeah, I guess we'll do it. Um, that's um, th- that can be uh, a challenge because when you hit those inevitable bumps that come, oh. then you worry about, wow, did I was this the right decision? Right. Um, and in- instead of saying, yeah, I'm in, I'm all in from the start, it's, you have to kind of go back and think through that. And I, and I guess it's also this moving um, backdrop where you may be strong without trials, and. Then all of a sudden the trial comes and it tips over one of you and then you need tools to recover. I've even found um, people are hungry for skills and tools. Yeah. They're so hungry. I have 1,200 people this Saturday coming to sit down and strengthen marriage, 12, 600 couples that are – we're going to just have a date night. And I sit there and I think why – where else would they get it? If we're not teaching it, if it's not out there, I guess we just assume it's internalized. The systems do it, but it yeah. doesn't. I mean we use the term uh, you have to work at your marriage. Right. We use that yeah. a lot, but we don't – I yeah. don't think we really mm-hmm. understand it. You know, marriage is uh, the biggest decision we make. It's the most transformative thing that we oh. do. And and uh, the reality is it's blending two lives together uh, forever and ever, you know. Is it really does uh, take work, and as you started off the program, you know when we do important things, we generally uh, get some training for that. We we get some education. We yeah. we realize that we've got to get the training, and then we need to do continuing yeah. education. Oh yeah, and then you need kind of the next generation. So now, what do we do with kids? And then now, what right. do we do with retirement? Right. And you know, there's it never all ends. those issues, um, and we're constantly changes in human beings. I mean, let's face it. We ought to acknowledge that um, that this is probably the most demanding thing oh. that we will ever be asked to do. That's why it's so powerful too yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it demands so much of us and it makes us uh, in, into these really much better people when we follow the rules and do it right. But it is demanding and uh, that takes some work. So true. We're speaking with Dr. Alan Hawkins who is um, the Camilla E. Kimball Endowed Professor of Family Life at Brigham Young University and is also uh, one of the leaders in uh, the Utah Marriage Commission and uh, in, in some new legislation about suggesting premarriage counseling. 
um, for those couples about to get married and also giving them a little discount on their uh, license if they do it. Is there is there evidence then that this actually would decrease divorce rates? Um, there are uh, about nine other states that have implemented similar policy, but I'm not aware that anyone has done uh, research specifically uh, on the policy and its effects. But you can take other research and build a case that it will. We do know there's a large body of research that suggests that uh, premarital education can uh, improve your skills uh, and get you off to a better start in marriage. Um, and uh, a smaller body of research that says, yes, this actually does help reduce the yeah. divorce rates uh, early on in marriage. Why w- – help us understand why government should be involved, why discounts should be given. A lot of people may not know how much divorce is costing. Yeah. The taxpayer. I mean, I think you do have to tread softly. Um, there are issues around, you know, um, government's big stick in people's personal lives, and so you be careful that way. And that's why the legislation uh, is is structured to be an incentive yeah. to do the right thing, rather than, you know, uh, forcing you uh, to do the right thing. Um, but you are right. Um, uh, marriage is uh, certainly intensely private, but it is profoundly public uh, yeah. as well. You and I uh, pick up the costs for um, for the disintegration of marriages in our society. Uh, our research here in Utah puts that cost fairly conservatively. You know, the taxpayer cost uh, of a divorce at about, on average, $18,000 from a large... Per uh, divorce. Per divorce. Wow. Um, that, uh, that comes from uh, the reality that uh, uh, fa- this is one of the most common ways that families fall into poverty and need some public assistance for a while. Um, from uh, those kinds of things to the reality that kids who go through these things uh, often experience some uh, some some problems. Yeah, um, yeah. And that society ends up picking. So then we have to educate. We have to provide more support, more uh, for those kinds of things. And and a compassionate society tries to do those things. But on the other hand, uh, because of the incredible costs, um, one one economist estimated that cost at one hundred and twelve billion dollars a year wow. uh, in uh, the United States, and so. Uh, it seems to me government uh, is wise then to say uh, uh, this is the most important institution of our society. We want it to be strong um, and we don't want to bear the costs. We've yeah. got other needed costs. Yeah. And so they try to get you to sort of go through the right steps um, as you enter and into learn this. marriage. It's funny. We have Dr. Brian Willoughby on every couple of weeks to to pick his brain about all things uh, relationship oriented. And one of the things I guess we are seeing a lot of is um, a change in how we look at marriage, a change at how younger generations see marriage. A lot of people waiting, you know, almost for everything to be lined up before they go get married is – I mean, would some people that, that that were fighting against this bill that you were proposing it were saying you know it might diminish people's desire to get married? It might actually impede them. Do you worry about impeding marriage? I, I don't worry about that uh, aspect at all. Um, I think somebody suggested that uh, this is going to make it less likely that yeah. people marriage. First of all, it's a choice, right. um, and it provides an incentive. Um, and, it's a dis- you get a yeah. discount. It's, yeah, it's not discount. mandated. Yeah, uh, and so I don't worry about that uh, at all. Yeah, because and and two, what do you see generationally? 
What is happening? Do you think these the younger generations that are maybe less likely to go get married are they actually more likely to get educated before they get married? Um, we don't know. I uh, I would as a researcher, I would like to know that. In some sense, I think the younger generation has much more of this this kind of a mindset yeah. where yeah, yeah, I mean that's what you do. You you go and do this, and um, uh, we do have here in Utah. Uh, uh, we uh, we offer for free. Uh, uh, for engaged couples, an, uh, a high-quality online yeah. uh, marriage-strengthening uh, program uh, that they could do, and and often the younger generation, you know, that that's the that's the first step. Is of course you go online to get these things. Um, so I, in that sense, I think they are, are really open to these possibilities. Um, however, uh, one of the factors that's involved there is most couples, uh, before they marry, live together. Um, and I think many couples think that the process of living together, of cohabitation, yeah. uh, is their way of preparing for marriage. Unfortunately, the, the, trial research, marriage, yeah. the, the research doesn't bear that out as it suggests that you actually even have a higher risk of divorce um, when you live together before marriage. And um, or at least live together without that formal commitment of where you're headed. Yeah. Um, uh, and so uh, we think. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now I'm writing a paper that's making the argument that I think this generation needs premarital education more than any generation. Yeah. Why ever is that? Has. Uh, I think because um, uh, there is a tendency to think that uh, that living together is is the way we prepare. Uh, it certainly helps us understand some things about each other, but it's not effective yeah. as a way to yeah. really make that commitment uh, and to develop the tools the skills uh, for marriage. And I just think some of the attitudes that are out there about marriage can be a little bit toxic, and you, you want to make sure and get past those yeah. uh, before you marry. I think there are a lot of reasons why it's more important than ever. And commitment, I guess, circling back to talk about commitment, commitment, um, explain, it, it seems like there might be a generational view of commitment to what? It used to be we were committed to each other or an institution, it seemed like. Now it might seem like we're more committed to ourselves, our happiness, kind of more of an individualistic approach. And I've even seen scholars write okay, that exact yeah. thing that they've um, actually saying that um, um, – you know that there's a lot of different kinds of commitment in marriage that can work. And, yeah. Well, I disagree uh, right. with that. The commitment we're talking about is, is a commitment uh, to uh, make this person uh, the most important person in your life, to make your the most important thing that you do uh, the happiness and the well-being of this individual and the children that come from that union. I mean, that's the kind of commitment uh, that we're talking to. It it's really is a, a white-knuckled hang-on for dear life. Right. Lose um, yourself. You know, find I'd, yourself. I, I would murder you before I would divorce you yeah, uh, kind, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that we're, we're in this through thick and thin. Now, having said that, we know that there are instances when divorce is necessary and not, over, not, not just necessary but even right. right there, are, there are things that people do. That essentially disqualify them um, from, you know, the privilege, the status that marriage is, and uh, we recognize that, and um, and and that's uh, that's heartbreaking. I, I just uh, uh, went through this um, with a, a former student who contacted me this week, and mm. just so heartbreaking. But we know that that um, that that exists. 
But for the most part, when you when you make that all in one hundred percent commitment, you are the most important thing to me, and we're going to figure this out. It may take forty years um, to but figure it all do out, it. but we're going to get it, and we're going to build that great life together. That's the kind of commitment we're talking That's about. That's pretty awesome. One more thing before we go: um, What would you suggest to parents? out there that are really trying they they want to set their kids up for success in marriage what are some things that parents should be knowing and doing to make sure their kids really have a strong shot um uh, let me a few things i might mention about that number 1 is um just the example of two parents um who have uh, made it through uh, and that commitment is front and center and even actually showing their children um that their marriage isn't perfect and that they've had real struggles, but um, they've they just kept with it. Just that example is powerful yeah. um, for children. Um, you know, the other thing that I would suggest that parents do is um, as instead of asking, you know, the first question is, you know, what's the date and uh, what kind of dress are you going to have and where are you going to have the reception, those kinds of things, the first question they ought to ask is, so – what uh, what premarital education program are you going to take? And, That's great. Uh, can I help with that? Yeah, let um, me pay that for let you. Let me pay. You know, most actually, most of these are done by churches and they're and, free. Yeah. And are free. But there are some great programs out there. But you know, they come with maybe a, a few hundred dollars. Can I pay for that? That's such you know? a great idea. And why don't you do that first? Yeah. And be and be learning and practicing all those skills for the next six months or whatever while you're doing the wedding preparation stuff, which is fun that's yeah. great yeah but uh, let me help let me help with that that's such great advice and and then yeah that's the gift from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa it's, it is the gift that keeps yeah. on giving and for that matter why not attend that as well and, yeah. uh, as a you know as a Family. married couple show that example of say we got to work we got to keep working on our relationship yeah. too that's what uh, i love about these events is to see grandma's grandpa's parents and kids all coming to an event to talk about marriage yeah It's amazing. Um, It's important. It's good stuff. Alan Hawkins is his name. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your insight. You bet. Again, Alan is the Camilla E. Kimball Endowed Professor of Family Life at Brigham Young University. You can find out more about uh, one of the organizations he works with and uh, leads, StrongerMarriage.org. It's it's a Utah-based organization, but great insights, great research and information there. If you are engaged, married, or dating, Go check it out. StrongerMarriage.org. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, keep the love alive. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Welcome back, friends. You know, again, uh, education is a choice. Making things work and marriage is a choice. You may as well combine the two. Um, I find more and more that uh, there's just no end to what you can learn. As somebody that is constantly researching about relationships and working with people on their relationships, the more you can know, the better. You will never be able to fully predict everything that's going to happen in the relationship, but you can predict um, more fully how you'll be able to respond to such tension and, and those issues. So. Please, please, please make sure you are out getting educated. And uh, for example, this um, this Saturday, it's it, it is it's a really fun thing I do. It's a date night where it's already sold out. It's 
packed, but these are all families, parents, couples. Uh, they bring their dating uh, kids. And what we do for two hours, two and a half hours sometimes is we just talk about relationships and talk about the different um, points that make uh, – that are kind of essential that we learn how to, to deal with. And communication, conflict, loving rituals and traditions, um, and just commitment as uh, Alan was talking about earlier. Ask yourself one simple question. What is it like to be married to you? What is it like? Oh, well, it's a blessing. They are so blessed and so gifted and wonderful. It, would your spouse say that? What's it like to talk to you about a conflict? What is it like to have to bring up, uh, you know, a painful subject? What's it like in your relationship? And don't just think it is what it is because, honestly, I've seen couples 85 years old change a marriage pattern that they had had for 60 years because it wasn't working. And so if a couple can change after 60 years of marriage, you could change after 10, 15, 20. So don't think anything is set in stone But there, because there are many, many things that we can learn and we can do. But you can't do it if you're not reading and studying. So keep listening to the show as well. That's one of, Because it's one of my passions, that's what we try to bring onto the show regularly. More skills, more tools to help you live longer, to help you love stronger, and to lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Now, the big question, once you're married, eventually you have kids, then you got to decide if you're going to give these kids an allowance. And Terry has it all figured out. A recent survey conducted by Finder.com says that parents are shelling out around $41 billion a year on allowances for their kids. What? $41 billion. For some context, that's more than the U.S. government spends on energy and environment, only $39 billion, transportation, $26 billion, and NASA, $18 billion. While $41 billion may seem like a huge number, the bigger surprise on the survey is uh, was that as it's being doled out by far fewer parents than anyone might have imagined, only one in two parents actually give their kids an allowance. Yeah. Hmm. This is, by the way, all tax-free. Did you give your kids an allowance or do you? Uh, yeah, kind of. But, I mean, it's based on they have to earn it. Oh. Of those parents who do an overwhelming majority, 86% require the child to complete at least one chore to earn the cash. That's a we What do. percentage? 86. Ooh. But it's funny because some of these kids are really industrious and others are just lazy bums. Children under 10 average about $13 a week. Am I a bad parent if I don't make them do a chore in order to earn their allowance? No. The, but you're, these will be children living with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Kids between 11 and 21 are bringing in around $20 a week. Sheesh. Well, the, here's the thing. You're going to pay for them either way. So what I like to do is make them earn it, and then they use their money to go to the movies. They use their money to go to stuff. So other than them, if not, they'll be asking, hey, can I have $10 to go to the movie? So this way, they have their money. And they don't hassle you, bother your Netflix viewing. Exactly. Then I could just basically go through the entire day not talking. (laughs) Another survey in 2017 found the average four-year-old made $3.76 a week, while the average 14-year-old took in around $12.26 a week. $12.26 a week. 
My six-year-old gets a dollar a week, and she is so happy to have it. Oh, isn't that? That's so fun, though, when a dollar matters. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then that's when they start saying, Dad, how much? So if I lose a tooth, how much do I get from the tooth fairy? And then they start thinking, I could just lose all my teeth, and I'd have $10. <laughs> and you're like, honey, you know what? Keep your teeth. Daddy will give you $10. Just please don't play with your teeth. Oh, fun. Kids are awesome. That's what, that's what life's about right there. Teaching them the, uh, you know, how to stay out of debt, like our federal government. <sighs> it's got to begin somewhere. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is all here. Ready to make it happen for you. Today, we got a lot to cover and uh, and a lot of things that um, you didn't even know were that important to know. Mm. These are true facts. Uh, Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, on his way to the Olympics, but there was a little, um, a little, uh, what do you want to call it? A little dust up, dust up, a little a kerfuffle. Ker- Says who? <laughs> he um, he's he's on his way there, and then one of the leading figure skaters uh, on the American team um, is gay, mm-hmm. and he's like, I don't. Mike Pence has been outspoken on that yeah. subject, yeah. So he's and, not a big fan of the vice president and doesn't want to. And now, then all of a sudden, they say Mike Pence wanted to meet with him to figure U- out why was he so offended. USA Today printed a uh, article talking to him about the vice president coming to South Korea, and the guy had some comments, so they printed those. The vice, uh, they said an hour after the art article was posted, they got notification that the vice president had reached out to the Olympic Committee to see if they could get the vice president and the skater to have a, a sit-down let's, discussion. Let's go talk. Why do we need to? And that the figure skater said he did not want to talk to the vice president. USA yeah. Today reported that. The vice president's office said this is fake news. Okay. But, so there's your whole like news cycle situation. But, but what, I guess the problem is that... At some point, I mean, the big people sit down and talk this stuff out. This is how we move forward is we don't just hate somebody because of what he did or said. We go talk. Even President Trump would sit or President Obama would sit down and have a drink with people. Do you remember? Yeah. And he got criticized for it because, yeah. you know. But shouldn't we be talking? That'd be the idea except – I mean, the figure skater is kind of trying to focus on what he's doing. Maybe he doesn't want to be distracted by a big media good thing. Point. Well, but he did create the big media thing. Well, he talks. The skater's to the guy that created the media thing. Sure, but he just gave a comment. Now he's moving on, and hey, uh, vice by, president wants to talk. Well, and, talk and president or vice president Pence is on his way there because part of what he wants to make sure is that no matter what happens, that the propaganda from North Korea is not going to be spread through and take over the message. Right from 
of the Olympics. And I don't think it will. As they arrived yesterday, or last couple of days, there's been a lot of protesting from people in South yeah. Korea not happy that North Korea was allowed to come participate. Oh, yeah. Everyone's mad about something. Even though the president of South Korea is really trying to open a dialogue with the North. Again, you're saying we should talk, right? Let's just talk. He's trying to open a dialogue. Yeah. And by doing this, by come down here, be part of these games... Let's have some, tr- uh, you know, a trade of ideas and culture a little bit, and then yeah. let's see if that'll soften things, and then we could talk. The fact that Kim Jong Un's sister, yeah, is showing up, kind of signals that North Korea sees this as a very important situation. They send one of the members of the the ruling family to represent the country. So I just it, it's so it, you see a lot of signals that there's some positive things going. And then, as I pointed out yesterday, it's kind of odd that Mike Pence was in Japan announcing further sanctions. Yeah. Hmm. Which, again, I mean, what we ought not do— You if, could do that in two weeks when it's over, right? But so. wouldn't—I wouldn't, mean, we don't want North Korean propaganda there. No. But we probably don't want American propaganda there. No. Let's just go let the Olympics be the Olympics. And what right. if the vice president just showed up and just loved on all the, 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 uh, the athletes and just, you know— Give a wave. Gave him a wave and gave him a Waited for a to come card. in and clean it up at the end at the yeah. closing ceremonies. That'd be the whole come process. Come on. Give him a gift card. Each of them get $10 to TGI Fridays. Can it go be somewhere the, else? Go to the salad bar. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's going on. And uh, today we're also going to be talking about how you need to, to open your mind up, have mm. a positive attitude. Two skills you may be lacking open-mindedness positive mental attitude i have some reservations about all that no yeah you we'll you have yeah that's not necessarily you have a fairly open mind yeah but it's super negative eh i see it as realistic yeah if if that is if the way you see the world is real hmm. we're dead and i mean that in the best way possible. life is a struggle matt i just accept it life is a highway Hmm. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. No song. No, I was, I mean, I was totally invited to break into the song. By the way, do, would would that sentence make everything President Trump says better? And I mean that in the best way possible. What do you mean? What's if you were to add? And I mean that in the best way possible. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Would that just make it better? Yeah. The you know all those. Why do we want people from those kinds of countries? Those blank and blank and kinds of countries. Oh, oh, oh. And I mean that in the best way possible. That's kind of the okay, equivalent yeah. of JK. JK. Like, I hate you. <laughs> JK. JK. And I mean that in the best way possible. Or the one you hear a lot from uh, people in elected uh, positions who talk a lot and put their foot in their mouth. Yeah. Politicians. And yeah. they're all over the place and they go, I'm not a racist. And then they say <laughs> yeah. something racist, no, that's right. right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not a sexist, yeah, or no. I'm not a you. It, when you have the the precursor to your offensive hey, comment, I'm not arguing for the KKK. Yeah, but, but <laughs> there are a lot of things they do really well. <laughs> Boy, are they organized! They got some creases on those sheets. The that minute, are just to the die minute for. you say, the minute you do the preamble, yeah, you're dead. You undercut your argument. Yeah. Pretty much always. It's great. Uh, let's get to the headlines. What else should we be paying attention to? House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday maintained a filibuster on the House floor for over eight hours. Woo! The previous House record, a five-hour, 15-minute harangue, as this article puts it, against tariff legislation by Representative James Bochamp. He went by Champ. Chuck Clark. He's Show. a Democrat from Missouri in yeah. 1909. Really? Tariffs. Got to stop them. They're tariffs horrible. will kill you. So Pelosi was protesting the lack of a congressional action on legal protections for dreamers. 
Uh, as members of Congress, we have a moral responsibility to act now to protect dreamers who are the pride of our nation and are American in every way but on paper, Pelosi said. Her filibuster came shortly after she announced that she and other House Democrats will oppose a longer-term budget deal without a commitment from House Speaker Paul Ryan to advance bipartisan legislation to protect dreamers in the House. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made a similar commitment to Democrats last month in order to secure their votes to reopen the government after they forced a shutdown over the immigration issue. Ryan has said the House would only consider legislation that the president would support. Yeah. She just wants to put a vote on the floor, and he's like, nah, we'll do something the president will support. She's like, that's not what you said. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she's trying to get a commitment, and she's... But like I was telling you, uh, we talked about before, she was in on all these negotiations for this deal. Her yeah. people were in there. Yeah, she she's, knows. She's added part of this, and she's doing this to, uh, there's a strong primary challenge in her home district, and she's trying to well, show that she's and very... And so some of this is the football analogy where it's fourth and two. Mm. The team is going to, they look like they're going to go for it on fourth down. They're really, it's just a fake. They're going to go out and see... How they set up. Yeah, They're going to the, see if they yeah. can draw them off sides. Yeah, yeah. That's all she's doing is seeing if she could draw them off sides. She also said that this is her position. She's not encouraging other Democrats to follow her lead. That's a great, by the way, a great preamble. Hey, um, <laughs> don't follow my lead, but I'm, I'm not voting this. for this. Right. So we'll see what happens. Last September, the Department of Homeland Security informed 21 states that the Russian government had targeted their voter registration systems before the 2016 election. And on Wednesday, the DHS's head of cybersecurity, Jeanette Manfra, told NBC News that of the 21 states, an exceptionally small number of them were actually successfully penetrated. She did not name any of the states since the report is classified, but she said that she has no doubt it was the Russian government, not just Russians. That's been a, a key point in all this. It's like, are we looking at like groups within Russia that are hacking different right. nations, or is it the actual government of Russia well, that's doing this? Hold on. People really aren't sure if it's... Isn't everything run by Putin? No. Well... It's like here. And, and, we no. have groups in this country that hack people. Well, They're not on, governmental groups. Well, but we also don't have oligarchs that have then been sure. set aside that then control 98% of right. the revenue. So everything is pretty much controlled by oligarchs and... Not necessarily Putin. when it comes to this. You I have mean, individual groups that act... Diff- they're not taking marching orders from the government. They're just messing around. Or is it the actual government? These are still, it's not exactly clear. She's saying she knows yeah. this case, it was the government. How much do you think can really go on in Russia that he wouldn't find out about? That is a great question. Probably quite a bit. And Russia's I mean, huge. I, I think we built him up into the no. big evil mastermind James Bond villain, and he's really not. Well, he does run the oligarchs. Well, what he, is that? 135 sure. billionaires that run all of the economy. But they of have they have Russia. a lot they have a lot of autonomy too. He just runs them when he needs them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big country. Yeah. It covers a chunk of the globe. He doesn't I mean Siberia is thousands to me, of miles that, away. This whole statement sounds more like we're just trying to pretend we're so just trying to mince the words. The so that- head of Department of Security or Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, says that she stands by the list as a snapshot in time with the visibility that the department had at that time. She also disagrees with the assessment that states aren't adequately prepared for the 2018 uh, election and 2020. She says, I would say they have all taken it very seriously. And they're saying around maybe four or five states were actually 
yeah. uh, uh, penetrated yeah. and, and affected by this, do this you hack. Think, so. Do you think you're more likely to have uh, Russian organized groups impact our election hmm. or Facebook consultants? Probably Facebook consultants. Yeah. I don't know if Facebook's actually but done anything. But we're not terrified of Facebook. No, they're our friends. That's where my, my photos of my kids are. <laughs> right. A city of around 300,000 is set to begin with an experimental pl- a pilot test program for universal basic income in Stockton, California. Wow. Residents will receive checks worth $500 per month starting in the second half of 2018 with no strings attached. Two nonprofits are joining with the city of Stockton to provide the funds where unemployment is still far above the national average. San Joaquin County's per capita income is just over 40000 in a state known for its higher than average cost of living, and one in four live below the poverty line. Wow. The program is scheduled to run for a total of six to nine months. The results of the study should follow shortly thereafter. The $500 checks are scheduled to be sent out in the second half of 2018 with the city leaders hoping to grow the program as they can afford to do so. $500 per resident per year? Per month. Mm. Wow. See, so we that goes back to children. Mm. Why do children need... You know, an, a sal- a, an allowance. A, an allowance. It's mm. because there's a universal. Every human deserves so right. much money. So if my kid gets five hundred dollars. My kid's not seeing any of that. Jeez. It's how how are they going to afford this? It's uh, they have private money. Okay, let's be two ver- nonprofits joining with the city to provide the funds. There's no such thing as private money. Sure. Like. Someone there, there are, are groups who want to do this experiment. So there, so, yeah. so they found a city that wants to do the experiment. It's run six to nine months. See how it goes. So it's free money. There's no data to show how this will work. All there is is people saying it will work with yeah. no data, and people saying it won't work with no data. Well, so can let's I just, figure it out. I just would suggest to any new married couple <laughs> move to Stockton, California. Move to Stockton, California. Hey, just stay there nine months. Yeah. See what how it goes. Just test it out. See how it goes. They free got, money. I mean, there's jobs there, and you get free money. So this is great. When I see something, I will report on the findings. That's good. Uh, finally, we've all been uh, playing this waiting game with Mad Mike Hughes, the DIY enthusiast and flat Earth theory advocate who planned to launch himself in a steam-powered rocket some oh, yeah. 1,800 feet into the sky at 500 miles per hour as some kind of confusing statement on the curvature of the planet. Right. Hughes, who has one prior... Uh, DIY launch in 2014 under his belt, originally planned to launch a newer crowdfunded $20,000 rocket with research flat earth emblazoned on the side from the Mojave Desert. Uh, there's a ghost town there named Amboy, California. Yeah, that's where they'll that's where they'll dispatch emergency services from. He wanted to do this in November, but as the countdown to the launch drew down, the Bureau of Land Management informed him he couldn't fly over public lands, forcing the launches the launch's cancellation. Hughes promised another launch was coming on Saturday. This was February third, so this was a couple weeks ago. But the big day came and went without anything uh, leaving the launch pad. He was going to try again on Monday. Come on, but Hughes. Hugh- Hughes had to be in court because he's suing several government entities, so he's kind of busy. No mm. word on when he will attempt another launch. Hughes has got to get his priorities straight. Either he's going to ch- he has to choose to prove the Earth is flat, or sue all these other people. Yesterday, you can't have it both ways. Right yesterday, now. I was reading Elon Musk launched his uh, Falcon Heavy with the Musk. Tesla Roadster in it, right? And the pictures from the Tesla Roadster so cool. showing the globe is round. Yeah, Hughes. Says it's doctored. Oh, absolutely. 
That's, I mean, doctored photos. By the way, the funny thing about that whole thing is the only thing in question is if the Earth is round. Hmm. What isn't in question is an astronaut sitting in a roadster. A mannequin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> pretending to be, you know. They call him Starman. Starman. I mean, that that's fine. Yeah. We're fine with that. That's totally fine. The Earth is still round. It's still flat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, space exists. It's just we're flat, not round. So didn't you say there was a copy of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy it's in, in the, the glove, glove box? Yeah, yeah. What would you put in that? In the glove box? Well, just in the in the car. Uh, jumper the cables. Jumper cables. Okay. You, you're gonna have to reach because I think wasn't it playing a song when they left? Yeah, it was. A, oh, he's uh, got. It's a Tesla. It's just nothing but batteries. Right. So, yeah, it was playing some Born to Ride song or something. It was Space Oddity or uh, yeah, so whatever. Space Odyssey. Or oddity. Is it oddity? I'd have a packet of sunflower seeds. Would you? Got to have the seeds. I don't know that I'd want sunflower seeds in a convertible. After after watching um, The Alien, uh, you know, the the astronaut on Mars. The Martian. Martian, Martian, Sorry, Martian. I would take fertilizer. That that was a big stumbling block in the show is how do you grow food? Well, you'd need seeds. That's why you'd want sunflower seeds. And some fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some fertilizer. Or you know what? I'd take a cow. Right. Right, it, a, it could it could be my mental health animal. Okay, yeah, your mental support animal, B, comfort animal. Yeah. It would provide milk. C. How would you feed it? Because you have to put stuff in for it to come out. Come again? Yeah. How do you feed the animal? That's another problem we'd solve. Okay. I, I'd actually probably bring a bale uh, of hay or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So you can you can bring the cow as your emotional support animal, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for like three seats at least. Yeah. No, I just put them in the back seat of the roadster. Hmm. Don't you think? Hmm. That's a big problem. But, yeah, uh, and then but if, in the end, you could also eat the cow. That's true. And honestly, if you're going to die, wouldn't you love dying from protein, over-ingestion of protein? Isn't that kind of a creepy thought, though, that your emotional support animal becomes your physical support animal? Yeah. That's creepy, but it's also the end of your day. So yeah. everyone's going. Yeah, everyone's going. <laughs> and then the hard part, though, is – and this is – you'd have to make sure you do this. I guess it depends what planet we're going to. Right. But I would make sure I always I, – I tie my cow down. You don't, Yeah, you want the cow getting loose. Grandma always taught me, tie that cow down. In case, you don't want him floating away. No. Nothing would make you – it's like a little kid when his little balloon floats away. How bad would you feel if your cow floated away? Yeah, you'd be like, come oh. back. Come back, Betsy. Where are you oh. going? <laughs> you'd be so mad at yourself. Right. Boy. It's a neat thought. Yeah. So the earth, as this guy says, is still flat despite no. what no. we saw with the roadster. I think okay. all we know about this guy is he doesn't take his own research seriously. Well, no, and and I mean, get in that rocket. I like and how shoot he, yourself up. I there. like how he said he was going to try again. This was this last Monday, but he was in court suing several government entities, right? Which might be a couldn't pastime be, and hobby for him. Couldn't be bothered. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem is focus. Yeah, you never, you know, Galileo didn't have these problems. No, he wasn't suing government entities, getting right. in the way of his research. I mean, right. come on. That's right. <laughs> Let's get to uh, any empty news, Jeffrey, we should be covering. Yeah, I think we've got time for one before the break. Uh, (sighs) I'm sure you've been in this boat before where you've gotten up in the middle of the night to go get a glass of water, a glass of milk, and your foot came into contact with 
a uh, a, a sharp or jagged object. Yes. Usually a Lego. Yes. Right. Well, there's a guy that uh, is trying to step on Legos barefoot Why? to beat a world record. In fact, he did it. So Russell Kasava threw his shoes off to trek across a path of loose Lego bricks that was 120 feet long. What? The previous record, so you have multiple people that uh, are dying to, to have this title. To be, yeah. Yeah. Previous record, 85 feet long. Oh, man. So we're talking 35 feet. This guy shattered the record by 35 feet. The successful attempt, which, was, which has been submitted to Guinness, was aimed at raising money for Fairy Bricks, a charity that provides Legos set to, to oh, hospital children. That's or nice. To hospital children. That's great. But wouldn't you walk 100 and whatever feet for kids with needs? I would walk 500 would. miles. That's that's, that's the number. That's, that's the good. number. Five hundred. Really well, let's have you do it. Well, yeah, and this actually reminds me of one of our sponsors that we have. Uh, a while back, we did a story about this Lego set that was just so expensive. We're talking thousands yeah, of dollars yeah. per Lego set, and uh, you know they they put together a little promo. I'm not sure who can afford these, but hey, let's see. Maybe some of our listeners can. A love they will never understand. A wall stacked high keeps us apart. I scream and will never be hurt. Juliet, nous montrerons jamais. Running backwards, backwards running. Hanging our snow cap, snow capping in our. For twenty-five years, I have been drowning in the Danube. Bricks of yellow and red crush my soul. My soul is not for sale. Construile. Build it. have all been given life advice, whether we ask for it or not, right? And most commonly, the advice revolves around some sort of positive thinking. The thing is, your own experiences are much more powerful influence than hearing about someone else's. Positivity becomes a mindset that permeates your thinking, influences your actions, and shapes the way others think of you. Joining us to talk about it is Christopher Connors, who's an author, a career coach, and speaker. And he's going to talk to us about today, today about the importance of an open mind and a positive attitude. Christopher, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. You bet. It's it's interesting. We always we always hear you know be positive. You got to have a PMA, positive mental attitude. Um, but talk to us about that because we don't want it to be cliche. There, but there is some pretty strong research behind uh, the power of how you think. No question about it. And I, I think that for me, where it starts is I, I something I picked up in coaching basketball is uh, a saying that. There are two things you can always control, your attitude and your effort. And cliche, yes. But once it starts to manifest itself in your life and and all of the experiences that you have, and and I've found both personally and professionally, staying positive while not always easy on an everyday basis and not always easy in the moment 
it has tangible long-term results. It helps you to build positive relationships, helps you to meet the kind of people and attract the kind of people that you want. And it invites new opportunities into your life. No, no matter what you're really trying to pursue, both on a personal or professional level, it brings the right people and right uh, opportunities into your life. Yeah, no, totally. You also talk about open mind. Um, what Talk about what you mean by open mind. I, I think for me, open-mindedness, it, it's not necessarily just a, a tolerance, so to speak, in, in terms of whether it's you know, tolerance for other people, whether it's political or whatever it may be. I mean, open-mindedness to me is remaining open and to new opportunities, to meeting new people. And, and so much of how I define that, you know, and I, I base it on these values, and, and I recently just published my first book, The Value of You. Both open-mindedness and positive attitude are right in there. And I've just found, you know, really through researching the lives of successful people, uh, in my professional experience, I've worked in the management consulting world, and I've seen people succeed and, and really get promoted to reach high levels of, of where they've wanted to get to by keeping an open mind. Maybe the first path to success that they saw wasn't uh, the door that opened for them. So instead of being closed-minded or getting cynical and thinking, well, exactly the way that I drew up my plan was, was not how it worked out, so now I'm going to give in. It's keeping that open mind to, to being willing to see things through that things are not always going to work out the way you think they are. But if you stay open-minded and if you're willing to keep persevering, uh, which is another value that's so important to me, that, 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 that's where open-mindedness comes mm. to me, is being willing to see those new opportunities and relationships. Absolutely. And it almost feels like there's, a, there's some corollary between um, positivity that keeps the mind open, because once you start getting negative, your mind would start closing opportunities, seeing everything as, as a curse, not, you know, not an opportunity. How do they play on each other? I, I think that, you know, posit, positive attitude. So as you kind of referenced earlier, there's, there's certainly research and studies behind just, you know, thinking more positively, it, it, it closes you off to those negative emotions of, of anger. And, and so, so much of how I see an open-mindedness and positive attitude, it's, it's around emotional intelligence. And certainly if you've read Daniel Goldman's work or if you've just read other work in that field, uh, leading to, the, to those vices or leading to those negatives and temptations around anger or envy or, you know, things like that are just too much pride in your life. That'll close you off. Yeah. And it'll literally decrease uh, the imagination and, and, and the, the creativeness of thinking around, you know, things that are going to really help you in your life. We're staying positive. You know, you find that your imagination is a little bit more open. You find that you're more receptive to learning and trying new things and giving things a shot. Does, does this, I mean, you grew up, you played college ball and um, basketball, but you, you see John Wooden, you see um, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of motivation and a lot of PMA, positive mental attitude stuff, come out of the sports world. Um, where Where is it that you learned it, and, and did you learn it on the court? Did you learn it as an athlete? Yeah, no question about it, Matt. And, and for me, I just, <laughs> so your audience knows, I mean, John Wooden is a hero of mine and someone that, you know, in so many ways has served as an inspiration to, why I do what I do. You know, a lot of my book, which is a book about core values and the importance of building your life and your foundation on that to put together a plan for your life. You know, a lot of that was inspired by John Wooden's pyramid of success. And, and this is a man that is one of the most successful 
you know, basketball coaches, but just coaches in, in sports history, at least here in the United States. And I think that he just realized the importance of, of building that foundation, of staying positive through adversity. There's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be failures in, in the sports world, losses, mistakes made, you know, turnovers. And there's going to be change all around us in our lives. And, and I think that if you, if you start to get negative and you start to get down, that's really when you tend to give up. And, and the, the biggest part of you know, my belief system is ultimately not to give up, to persevere. I think that perseverance and persistence is key to success. But to me, in order to do that, you have to stay positive. And I, I've learned so much of that, in, mm. both through playing and coaching sports. What do you, what do you suggest? Um, because I've seen it with my own kids playing ball. Uh, you know, you strike out once. The next time you're up, it's easy to kind of follow that same thinking pattern. What, what do you suggest we do to kind of uh, to to not follow the negative path, but to actually bring more positivity to induce it into our lives? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's really important. Uh, I, I start with a lot of foundational uh, thinking in, in both my writing and my coaching. So number one, you know, select what your values are. That could be, fit, you know, faith, your faith, positive attitude, confidence, things like that. Select those values, write them down, you know, define what your, what success means to you and what happiness means to you. That, that's something that a lot of people, they don't take the time to do that. But I think once you are firm and you're committed as to, you know, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that are going to make you successful? And you put those down, you're able to better plan and, and you're less likely to, to kind of give in and, and, and more obviously to certainly keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Is um, and I guess too that's there's this weird paradox or um, I don't know what you call it irony, where we we don't want to eliminate negative things. I mean, it seems like we want to make everything you know perfect and 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 not have any negativity, but really it seems like we need the negativity so that the positivity um, creates value. There's, there's undeniably a balance. And, and again, I, I'd be the first one to say to you that I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not positive every, every day. There, there are times that I get down. Uh, the, the flip side of that, which, which I, you know, and I appreciate you mentioning, is that I've found myself lately thinking a lot, and, and, you know, from a writing standpoint, of you know, adversity is your best friend, something really counterintuitive to most people. Losing is your best friend because the biggest growth moments, the biggest opportunities that often come in life are from adversity, mm. are from moments when we've either lost someone in our lives, you know, it could be a death, it could be the loss of a job, it could be, you know, any type of adversity or failure that we encounter in life. There's always that opportunity that comes right from that. If you're willing to stay positive, that, that's the other side of it is you're going to get down. But if you play the long game of staying positive, you realize that things like adversity, failures, those really end up being your best friend. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things uh, you've coined, or a ta- I, I don't know if you've coined it, but the idea of individual positivity. I guess you're saying bring it to the personal level, or how, how do you frame this individual positivity? Yeah, again, I, I think, and one of the quotes that I mentioned in, in the article was just that in, in, every, in every adversity, there, there is an opportunity of an equivalent advantage. That's a, a Robert Collier quote, a very... Uh, you know, 20th century author who spoke a lot about positivity. And I I think, you know, whether you want to call it willpower or whether you want to just believe in the the power to 
try to do our best as individuals to master our emotions and to master our thought life. You know, we all have control over, you know, being positive, over having that attitude every day. We, we, we can really imbue our thoughts with positivity and other emotions. And I think that, you know, all of us can do that. That's, that's not something that is, is a gift for just the chosen few. All of us, uh, through the power of our faith, through believing in ourselves and self-esteem and confidence, we can individually take that on to uh, have that, you know, impact our whole day. Absolutely. What, uh, in your book, um, the, uh, I guess part of what we want to figure out is is really that, that each and every one of us has this value. The name of the book is called The Value of You. What What can we do? I mean, I've met a lot of people that because we live kind of in this pop culture world where, you know, you see Justin Timberlake and he's married to Jessica Biel and everyone wants these like famous, you know, just in, rich and healthy and all these powerful uh, concepts of what makes you valuable in this world. How do you really determine the value of you and what advice do you give to people that aren't sure what where their value is? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, so in my book, I choose to devote 20 individual chapters to a specific value. And I think that, is that a little bit overwhelming in in, in the short term? Yes. The the book is meant to be a guide that, you know, you pick and choose. And and for me, uh, above anything, I I, love is is the value that I choose to base. Love and faith are the two values that I probably choose to base my life around the most. And so the way that I would explain that uh, to relate it to the audience is that, you know, I, I feel like everything I do in my life is based on my belief in God, it's based on my belief in myself and, and belief in the people around me. And I also choose to act out of love. You know, I put my family first. I put the people that I love and care about first in this world. And then, of course, I have my job. I have the work that I do on the side and my passions to pursue. But I bring those up as examples, Matt, because I think that the more, you know, values require work. It requires choosing the ones that you want to build your life on. And then you can put together that plan of, whatever it is that you really want to do in your professional life and your personal life, whether you want to start a family, but I I think you choose the values first and then you give deep thought to what those things really mean to you. And and that, that to me is, is truly individualistic. It's uh, the mantra of self-improvement that don't, don't just follow someone else's advice, give it real deep thought for yourself and make that value your own. Yeah. Don't you think that uh, each and every one of us has some, defining light or something inside of us that actually is there to help us discern what our principles are, what our values are? Unquestionably. Uh, I'm I'm a very strong believer in God. Um, I truly believe that in my life I have, it's one of those things that, again, it's it's faith is, 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 it's hard to explain to people that don't feel that way, but for people that really truly believe in a higher power, you know, you, you start to see the changes in your life when you, you have that faith, when you give up uh, control and, and you give in to the power of, of God. And so, you know, for me, that that is a huge part of, of who I am. Um, but I and I, I would also say I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that every one of us has at least one special talent, you know, and, and some of us, you know, you start to see, I know you referenced some celebrities and yeah. it's easy to look at the pop culture world or certain athletes and think, God, you know, th- these people everything they do is right. Everything they do is perfect. And, and that's not really the case. You know, some of us, we have a couple things. Some of us, it might just be, you know, you're a great parent. You're a great teacher. You're, you're excellent at creating art. Whatever it is, I, I truly believe that every one of us 
has at least one or two things that, you know, we're just really great at. And it's a matter of, you know, finding out, well, what, what, what is that? You know, some of us, it may take a while to find that out, but it's always worth pursuing that, pursuing that passion, putting hard work into it, and being practical about what your natural talents are to try to meld those things together. Absolutely. What would you say, Christopher, as we wrap this up, um, what would you say is the one thing? Again, we're speaking with Chris Connors, who is author, career coach, and speaker, also um, has a a wonderful um, new book out. By the way, you can find a lot of what he talks about and and what he writes about. Um, You can find it on um, medium.com. But um, this this, – Chris, talk to us about what's the one thing? that you would suggest for all of us that we can do today that would help us, you know, maintain that open mindset and, uh, and that positive attitude. Sure. Sure. So I, I think, you know, just one thing again, start, start writing out, you know, that, that why, so to speak for your life, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. I, I think once you make sense of your actions or, or what you truly want to be doing, it's a lot easier to, to believe in that, to stay positive, to, to stay open-minded to a plan that you may have, knowing that plans can change, knowing life will always change around you, that there will be adversity, there will be good days and bad days. But I think being, being firm in your purpose about what you want for your life and being willing to ask those philosophical questions and those deep questions about what's truly most important to you, I, I think once you do that work, it opens you up to being more positive, to seeing that light at the end of the tunnel in, in all of the areas of your life, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, and all of the things that you do. So I think maybe that's the best way that I would say that, Matt. Good stuff. Good stuff. Chris Connors, thank you so much for your great work. The name of the book is The Value of You. You can find out more about Chris and his work by going to chrisdconnors.com, chrisdconnors.com, and and, and just continue your learning, your process of discovering you. That is really what we're trying to do here. Up next, a little Coach's Corner. Dr. Matt, I'll be here helping you, you know, be the guide on the side. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner play ball play ball anyway uh you know really a lot of stuff that we we are all i think learning and trying to do better here um one of the things i wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about we talk about positive mental attitude. We talk about having an open mind and uh, and how those things make a difference. One of the things I think that makes the biggest difference is it's not going to be um, a cliche. It's And there's a ton of research behind all of this stuff. But the real reason I like being more positive is because I just feel better. Now, some people are like, well, yeah, but sure, you're going to be taken advantage of more. Hey, bring it on. <laughs> Whatever. If you're going to try to take advantage of me because I'm positive, fine. Because when you do, guess what I'll say? Meh. Oh, well, you know, did what I could. And I'll just move on faster by having a little bit uh, more optimism in me, a little bit uh, more positive mental attitude. I'm not saying I should stick my head in the sand and pretend like there aren't any facts in this world because there are, but I also don't think I need to to just be negative. It's never served me. 
Um, I sit with people every day in my coaching practice that really are just negative. And it's it, remember, the negativity, I wouldn't argue it's a strength because we, we already know some data in, in the Happiness Advantage, uh, a book that's out talking about the, the power of happiness – um, is one of the data points shows that the most the most um, likely group of of professionals that are most likely to uh, go commit suicide and are the most miserable would be attorneys, and it's not because they're bad people; it's because their profession demands that they always look for the negative. So, if you set your life up to constantly be gauging and trying to look for the negative, you will find an uglier life. Positivity is more about um, being able to see the the rainbow, right? Being able to see the emergent property that comes out of the differences between tension and light. And our lives are all going to be filled with some form of tension, some some kind of uh, dark side and some positive side, some light side. And somewhere out of that comes a new reality. They call it an emergent property, right? It's something that didn't exist before. But sometimes you need the clouds and you need the storm and then you, and you need the rain and you need the sun. And when the three can combine, all this tension combines with light, it creates uh, something that didn't exist before. But that light can't come if you don't let it in. If you're not looking for the rainbow, if you're not looking for the opportunity on the other side of the pain, then um, it can be there. How many times have you driven down the road with rainbow up there and you're not even noticing it? And some of us notice it and we're like, eh, well, it's not. It's, only, it's really only two hues. Hmm. Okay, I mean, it's nice, but whatever. We're actually like we're not in awe of the fact that there is a rainbow. Yeah, it's just a rainbow. No, that means there's no more floods or whatever. So think about it. How effective are you at uh, not just protecting yourself from your cynicism? How effective are you at actually intentionally letting the light in? Everybody we want, I know, we don't want to be hurt. So it's very natural for us to, to not want to be hurt so badly that we just can't find the joy. But man, what happens to us as human beings if we could actually search out the joy? And everybody, every one of us today, just today, don't, don't do anything else, but just today, go try to find three blessings today, three signs that God is good, that life is good. Just find them, look for them. And then every day, just maybe try again tomorrow. Let's try, try, try to find three more. And then what's really fun is share those. Share those three joys, those three blessings. Share those and and then just see what happens. It's amazing what you'll find when you're looking for it. Powerful stuff. Hey, up next, we'll do a little, uh, we've got got a crazy update about uh, the importance of getting enough sleep and not sleepwalking. Plus, we'll do a little couples uh, counseling information from our own Leanna Tan. Welcome back. It's time for some empty news from Jeff Simpson. Jeffrey, have you ever sleepwalked or known anybody that is yeah, a sleepwalker? I have kids that are sleepwalkers. They can be dangerous, apparently. Scary. There's this guy in New York who tumbled six stories out of a Lower East Side apartment oh. window, oh. and he survived. 
So the man got up. Uh, he got up after the fact, but he did suffer a broken leg and rib and injuries to his back and torso. Wow. So he's 35. He works a day shift at an industrial site, and he's got a history of sleepwalking. And uh, the girlfriend told cops that he took her sleeping pills before hitting the sack. Yeah, no. Then around 5 a.m. Sunday, the man climbed out the eight-floor window and fell onto scaffolding six stories below wearing nothing but boxers. Oh, he is lucky. That is so, so scary. So dangerous. Hey, now we want to give uh, Leanna Tan, one of our old producers. She's already retired from our business. And uh, she's done some extensive research on the importance of couples counseling. <laughs> started this job, they assigned me the third hour of the show, all about relationships and self-help. That means over these past three years, I've read dozens and dozens of books and articles and blogs on marriage and dating and getting along with your family. I've read so much advice from scholars around the world. Sometimes I think this job could certify me as a marriage counselor. Maybe I could start a side gig or something. So I had an idea. I decided to put my skills to the test and try out a little couples counseling of my own. And I knew just the couple to practice on. My roommates. Welcome to the Carly Show! Who's listening right now? Say hi! Yeah, we're gonna need some new wind socks on these. What's a wind sock? You gotta touch it. They protect from the spit. What happens if I yell? Should I Snapchat my grandpa? Oh yeah, I got it. This is social media material right here. Everybody smile. Hi! Should I recreate the sounds that Allie was making last night? I make I make stretching noises in the morning, you know, when you stretch and you're like... Well, if you were stretching at 2 a.m. How long have you guys known each other? Uh, Wait, are you recording? Because I'm nervous and a little sweaty. Okay, sorry. <laughs> the question was... <laughs> How long have you known each other? Oh, man. I have vivid memories of the sixth grade. So that's been like... How many years? Three? Yeah. So Carly, wow. Allie, you've known each other for ten years. Uh-huh. And I'm just a little concerned. Sometimes I come home, it's a little loud, there's slight contention, maybe a little bit of tears, and Allie pulls out the Nerf gun. I just want a little bit more harmony in the home, so I brought you two here for a little couples counseling. Yes! What in the world qualifies you for this? Okay, so I'm just going to ask you a few questions, so let's just get straight to the point. What are your main issues? <laughs> just Allie as a whole, really. For me, generally, it's the stench. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> our room smells so bad. It does. But, like, I don't know why. It I, smells like milk or something. I think we like decompose at night. We? Yes. We. You, also I, went together. The thing is, when I when I climbed that top bunk, I've got an oasis away from the smell. The smell kind I don't of radiates smell that from your pillow. Bad. Let me tell you a little story. The entire year that we roomed together, Carly had these gray sheets. And a year after we'd lived together, um, she washed them. She's like, wow, this is really weird. These used to be light blue. So. The whole sheet. With, like, a body-shaped <laughs> emphasis of Carly. That, you just burped it. I thought you were starting a conversation, so I the burped a little. Let me just ask you, Carly, when was the last time you cried? Like, it's, what is it? What time is it now? Like, yeah. Uh, can we, like, can we so. talk 20-minute increments? Okay, happy tears, spiritual tears. There are many different kinds. Are there? Uh, yes. Uh, 
That one took a while to figure Allie, out, actually. I used to panic every time she cried. <laughs> and then it turns out that they're not all bad. <laughs> That's la- Guys, last time I cried? Monday. What's today? Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> oh, Dean, you, you cried last cry night. More recently. You cried last night. We are the perfect opposite for each other. Allie is like a rock. When it comes to feelings, she just doesn't have them. I don't think that's rock. fair to rocks. How do you feel love? Receiving Carly's love is like drinking from a fire hose. You get a little, but most of this hurts your face. Oh. <laughs> Allie, love is like little, you're like a little beaker. Your love is like, you like, I have to scientifically, logically think through this act of love and also look at my budget. Loving without a budget is not real love. <laughs> I have real love and some cash. Okay. So what is it about your life together that makes you happy? <laughs> I like coming home and arguing. I like coming home and getting laughed at and having the bathroom door opened on me and making Ellie mad. <laughs> I, I like coming home and hearing all the embarrassing stories of what happened <laughs> that day in Carly's life. Because I feel like I walk around in my day, like through my day so dignified and just well composed. And then I get home and Carly's like, I got oh stuck my in goodness. my pants today. I got stuck in my pants. So if I understood correctly, what makes you happiest about the relationship is when Allie's angry, and <laughs> Allie's favorite thing is your embarrassment. Uh, yeah, yeah it's sounds healthy it's to good. me. Yeah. What's something you'd like to do together that you've never done before? Skinny dipping? Haven't we done that? Live together? Yeah. More? I'm going to live in her basement of her future home. We've actually planned this. Yeah. She'll be the emotional nurturing part of the relationship for the children, and I'll handle finances. There will always be a Carly and Allie. I feel like I'm so satisfied with what we have now. I, I know, really. I need a whole lot more. Oh, wow. Wow, it sounds like this really worked. Yeah. <laughs> Your relationship sounds very strengthened. Mm-hmm. All thanks to you, Leanna. Wow. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you think this will lower the decibel of the nightly shenanigans? Oh, no. Let's sing a song. This is pretty. I'm turning off these mics. Bye. <laughs> well, that was a whirlwind. Doesn't look like my efforts will lessen the noise in my apartment, but I guess I do have the skills it takes, don't I? Glad I could put all those BuzzFeed articles to good use. But in the case of Allie and Carly, I think I'll let the professionals handle that one. Happy mediating, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, hour number three of the show. And if you've missed any of the previous hours, come on, pick up your game. It means you probably need to go to iTunes, to tune in, to Stitcher, any of your apps that you use to follow podcasts. You can go to byuradio.org and you can get all of our past episodes. We recommend you do it. There's so much to listen to. And by the way, you can just scan through three hours a day of our different stuff and pick and choose. You mentioned your recommendation. The show is actually recommended by... Eight out of ten doctors. Eight out of ten doctors. Nine and uh, nine out of ten dentists. Yeah, recommend the Matt Townsend show. Hmm. I, I think because I've been to a lot of dentists, they all want to uh, be on the show. By the way, dentists. Yeah. Dentists. Uh-huh. Why? They just 
I think a lot of them were bored. Do they have anything to add? I have a lot of dentists uh, in my friend group, and each one of them, they kind of just suggest, like, hey, why don't I come help you do your show? Mm. I would agree to it as long as they agree to uh, give you your fillings during the show. That oh. could be part of the interview. And if they're bringing free toothbrushes for the for everyone. Oh, the floss. Yeah. It's got to yeah. be the floss. Those are the most expensive things. You know what? I, I actually have learned I don't – the floss I don't like or the toothbrushes. I like the, the actual rinse stuff they give you. Like oh. – the plaque killing. Oh, when I was a kid, rinse. that was where I got my bouncy balls. Oh yeah, yeah. That really? stopped when you got older. They didn't. You they didn't don't offer the, the toy. You didn't get the chattering teeth. Mm-mm. No, but you heard that they then he then started getting stomach pain, and they found like forty bouncy balls in his mm. stomach. Yeah, They're, they were bite sized. He thought they were thought they were cocoa puffs. How many stories have we done where some guy has been eating something for years? Good one with uh, like. Pens, uh-huh. writing pens. Remember, like lighters. Didn't somebody eat lighters? Possibly. We just did Sticks. one uh, yesterday about kids eating Tide pods. Oh, okay. I don't understand that one. Yeah, the state of New York trying it's to boredom. pass a law to make it so you can't make them look all tasty like candy. Yeah, got to make it look like laundry detergent. Well, wh- but honestly, what what would you have to make it look like? Just this to make a the kid white powder. Instead of the multicolored orange blue sort yeah. of, it would need to look like a slice of pizza mm. or some nachos. Oh, it's sad. Back to nachos. I mean, it used to be that you just knew not to eat certain things. Yeah, it was pretty clear: don't eat the laundry detergent. But I remember growing up, and then it'd be like, don't eat berries. There's certain berry. I mean, sure, it's red, but don't eat it. But it doesn't seem to sound like people are eating berries anymore. They're just eating Tide Pods. Tide Pods. Unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> this is why you really worry about the wonder about the Darwin thing, because maybe you, if people are eating Tide Pods on a well, dare. It's not widespread. It's pretty isolated. But the it's of making people. the news and it's all over YouTube. Well, that's too, because isn't it? the news is looking for the most crazy thing that happened today. Yeah. So that they add their spotlight to it. It magnifies it beyond the actual scope of what it is. I mean, it's a, it's a problem for those people eating Tide Pods. But for <laughs> no, the general is. public, eh. They'll be fine. Not a big deal. I don't see what the problem so is. So maybe you just let it happen. Do you just let it happen? Let no. nature take its course? No. no. Okay. I mean, you mean... <laughs> In a I way, mean, you think, well, that'd be fine. Wouldn't that strengthen the gene pool? You would think so, If someone huh? looks at a Tide Pod and goes, huh, there's an option. Well... Is, are they making a choice? Do you need to let them have a choice, or should we as a society try to stop that? Okay, there is this moment where, come on, you're not an animal. Like, so, eh. But have you ever looked at something as a kid and thought, oh, that, that looks good? Yeah, I'd eat it. I'd eat that. Sure. Yeah, like, no, 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 put that bowl cleaner down. <laughs> Why do they have to make those cat food commercials make the food look so good? <laughs> Has that happened to you where you're like, it's ah. all meaty, I've, I've served up all nice? Yeah. I just saw some in the store that's refrigerated. Yeah. You know it's bad when you have to actually refrigerate the food now for your animal. Something's going on with us. I mean, there's human beings that don't that eat out of dumpsters, but we're buying refrigerated food for our animals now. That means it's jam-packed full of preservatives. Well, this is the world. Or not. 
actually. Yeah, because it's lasting. Um, let's get to the headlines. Maybe there's happier news there. Terry, what yeah, else should we we'll be? We'll see. Newly released, released text between the FBI lawyer and an agent who was once part of Robert Mueller's special counsel team shows that then-President Barack Obama was apparently keeping tabs on the agency's investigation into the Hillary Clinton email scandal. Uh-oh. The texts were released as part of a report prepared by Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee Chairman Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. One set of texts released within with the report between Peter Strzok, the top FBI agent who was assigned to the Mueller investigation, and Lisa Page, an FBI lawyer, both of which were romantically involved. These are their texts back and forth yeah. to each other. Uh, revealed that FBI employees had been tasked with preparing talking points for then-FBI Director James Comey because Obama apparently wanted to be kept abreast of the case. September 2nd, 2016, Paige Wright said she was uh, preparing the talking points because, quote, POTUS wants to know everything we're doing. Huh. Some of the Some people see this as evidence of Obama personally meddling in the investigation into the Clinton emails. Yeah. Another reason... He may have wanted to be updated. Is so that, that that text went September second, September fifth, twenty sixteen. Obama met with one on one with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the G twenty summit in China and told Vlad to knock it off. Knock it off. When it came to meddling and hacking and okay, everything sure. that was going on, so yeah. was he wanting to know what the extent of the breach at the DNC where the emails were then out? Where was the source of that? Do we uh-huh. know? I'm going to sit down with this guy. I want to be able to have all the information. Right. Or was he trying to make sure that he wasn't involved in all the Clinton mess? Those are the two sides of the argument there. Isn't that amazing how this just keeps stretching into something else and more and new? After, and After the report released, Johnson told NBC News that the texts were totally candid, unvarnished, and just raised an awful lot of questions. Yeah. CNN reviewed the text and the messages alluding to Obama's desire to keep abreast of the investigation into Russian election meddling. Uh, and they saw the context and they're saying, yeah, the president wants to know what the investigation's going on into the breaches of computer security. This isn't, it's right. not, he's yeah, no. diving into emails, all this. So uh, this is the second time Ron Johnson has been caught taking some of these texts maybe out of context. Just taking one text, not looking at the right. five before, five after to see what they're talking about. He's just taking, remember the secret societies uh-huh. yeah. quote? That's where that came from. Well, wasn't Ron Johnson, um, wasn't he on Miami Vice? It was Don I Johnson. Think so. This might be his brother. Oh, I thought he was a great actor. I think he was on the Russian import version of that. Yeah. Uh, Miami Vice. So it's interesting. Everyone's still spinning about texts yeah. and trying to implicate for other administrations. It's just a fun little game we're playing right now. Do you remember when we used to just get stuff done? Like in the 20s, 30s? <laughs> yeah, that's not when it happened, too. The Senate struck a two-year budget deal Wednesday. $400 billion proposal includes spending increases to both the Pentagon and domestic federal programs, which has some Republicans in the House kind of ticked off. Because this is just a, what they, uh, someone who wants more deficit. This is the best program best uh, deal for them because it's adding more to domestic spending yeah well i mean there's a lot of people out there that just love and they think hey i just want more deficit yeah just please more senate majority leader mitch mcconnell hailed the deal with a significant bipartisan step forward senate minority leader chuck schumer lauded it as a genuine breakthrough the bill does not however include a path to citizenship for dreamers which led to nancy pelosi filibustering for eight plus hours yeah in high heels stopping for a mint 
Those are good times. Reading letters of dreamers. and it's just, The Senate and the House will vote on this proposal today. If they don't pass the proposal today, we shut down at midnight. And we'll come yeah. back tomorrow and talk about, you know, how people have Friday off. That won't happen, will it? Because then it only lasts the weekend. They're back on Monday. Yeah. That's how it happened last time. Mm-hmm. CNN reported Wednesday that the president wants to go against the advice of his own lawyers and submit to an interview as part of the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into possible collusion between Trump and Russia and possible obstruction of justice uh, charges. The unnamed source close to the president told CNN that Trump thinks an interview with Mueller won't be all that bad because he genuinely believes in his own innocence and because he's done plenty of interviews under oath in his lifetime. Trump doesn't realize how high, st- how, the, how high the stakes are, this person told CNN. Trump's lawyers and pretty much anyone who has ever spent a significant amount of time around him think that the interview is a bad idea because he could make false statements. Yeah. Well, and that, that is, they say, one of the problems with the president is that he believes he's innocent. And, that, and sometimes that doesn't always mean you are innocent. And he very well may be. Yeah. But it, he may just... John Oliver, the comedian, was on uh, last night on TV, and he said uh, he believes that if the president goes out there, he'd probably perjure himself by saying his name. Hmm. Oh, yeah. The time it takes him to say his name, he'll probably go back and forth on something to the point where the FBI goes, did you just lie? Yeah. And they'll catch him on something. You know, and, and that's the problem. If you can't testify, is it the best thing to go before the guy that's trying to get you on well, something? Wouldn't you? It would just seem like at some point you just listen to your lawyers. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you? I mean, that's what I would do is like, you're paying him all this money and I would just, but I think he actually thinks he knows better. Mm-hmm. But again, he's, he's proven a lot of people wrong. A lot of experts have told him he could never do a lot of things and he's done every one of them. Right. Hmm. A Massachusetts couple says it was fun at first when they started receiving free mystery packages from Amazon that they hadn't ordered. Now they think it's annoying and want it to stop. Mike and uh, Kelly Gallivan tell the Boston Globe... The first package arrived in October. They have continued to arrive at a rate of one or two a week at about 25 in all. The packages contain mostly cheap stuff, such as plastic fans or phone chargers. The the Galvins say that Amazon told them the merchandise was paid for with a gift card with no sender's name. Hmm. Two experts say the Galvins are likely unwittingly being used as a ruse to manipulate Amazon buyer reviews. The anonymous sender is likely writing glowing reviews of their own product that they've purchased with these gift cards. Mm -hmm. And then all they get is a bunch of cheap stuff. They have to send it somewhere, and they found this address, and so they just keep sending them (laughs) cup holders and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's hard. That's not fun, is it? Not worth it. I don't know. Maybe you got a bunch of random phone charges around. You always need an extra one. Holy Fake cow. reviews on Amazon? I don't think so. We got to talk about phone chargers. Do we want to do it now? Because I'm mad. Why? Hmm. I don't. I think. Ah, how do I say this without sounding like I'm getting. Without old? giving out a, a, a brand? <sighs> yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. a conspiracy. Okay. Because I, every, somebody just took a bite of an apple. That's crazy. What's that about? Every charger in our house Mm. shorts out. Really? Every single one of them. Are they? Like it ceases to function? Because. Are they official chargers or are they secondhand chargers? Well, the official chargers don't, they, they, they wear out. Okay. But if you buy. A second-hand charger from a first-rate place. Okay. Like a really well-respected right. yeah. first-rate brand. Okay. 
they still wow. they're not designed right, right? See, I've never had a problem. I and I I don't buy them from the actual phone maker. Yeah, I buy them from another here's company. Here's why. Because you have enough discipline to not be using your phone too much on the charger. Ah. But if you use the phone while it's plugged in, it always bends the cord right like at a right angle in a way so that hmm. that's where there always seems to be a short. Hmm. So is it just not charging? It doesn't charge. Have you cleaned the uh, the port that you plug into? That's a great question because because uh, I was having problems yeah. with that, and then I took a can of air. Yeah, you, know, you use like clean off your keyboard. Yeah, and the dust, ones you huff with. Yeah, and I, I, I sprayed that in there, and you go into some tweezers, and there's always like pocket lint yeah. in the in the port where you plug your phone in. So you may want to look in there, just see you if it's what? blocked. Do what I do. Buy like a dozen of them on a third-party website. Don't do that because you're going to spray water and stuff in there and it might cause a Buy a dozen of them and play the percentages game. No, of I did. those dozen, I did a, that. a handful of them are bound to work. I've bought, I've bought dozens and dozens of chargers and I am so frustrated. You're not going to tell us. We bought four chargers for my kids. One of them works. Wow. And I, maybe it's my kids. 25% is not yeah. a good percentage. Now, you're not going to tell us what brand no. this is? But I am wondering <laughs> – I am wondering if Apple's doing something to make chargers – because there are other times the chargers don't work. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder if I have an update. And then I go check my update and, oh, I do have an update. Then I do my update and then it charges again. I, when it comes to me and updates with my phone, I, it's like I'm a part of the Alamo and I'm just fighting till the last breath to make that update. I yeah. will not make those updates until I absolutely have to. I, I used to be that kind of guy. Really? And then I realized um, it's when they had that whole virus come out and it was bringing down computers, I realized I probably need the safety of the Big Apple. Remember the Alamo, Matt. Remember, Remember. the Apple Mo. <laughs> That's what I like to think. That took them a while. Man. It took them a second. The audience is just always a, a step behind. Well, whenever it's your jokes. With mine, they're, you know, they're right on task. And the funny thing about that is your jokes aren't even funny. <laughs> yep, once, a, once again with me. They were even slow to boo me. They had to decide. Oh, brother. Well, they can't decide if they like you or they hate you. Yeah. Get in line. A lot of people struggle. But at least they're thinking. They're taking the time to think about it. Yeah, that's it. We want you to make uh, an informed decision (laughs) of how bad you dislike us. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking with Jeanette Bennett about sibling relationships. How... What happens when, you know, your older brother still treats you like you're just this young punk, even though you're in your 40s? Come on. We're grown-ups now, right? We'll be addressing it straight ahead. We're back, and Jeanette Bennett's with us, shaking it. She's dancing. I She's am. got I'm her it. her jacket on that is like the greatest show woman. 
Greatest showing I'm repping. Yeah. Yeah, you're repping it. You uh-huh. look you look great. <laughs> and in you. red, by the way. Going red today. Feeling red. Red's a power color. I, I sense more power from you today. Nice. Do you feel Thank it? You. you feeling I'm it? Feeling it. I'm sitting up straight. Yeah. Feeling powerful. <laughs> <laughs> feeling real powerful. Uh, Jeanette Bennett. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, is uh, she's the founder and editor in chief of Bennett Communications, it, which is uh, they basically produce six or so magazines. We produce words, yep, in glossy format and also digital. And if you go to Utah Valley UVMag dot com, yep, that or Utah works. Valley Utah Mag. Valley three hundred and sixty is where everything kind of lands. But we have yeah. a lot of different titles. And really, business topics, uh, bridal. In fact, I was just invited to do a, to do a bridal show. Nice. But I, I no, do it. Do I've it. done a lot of bridal shows in have. my lifetime, and it's just a weird thing because the mothers are like, "This guy is incredible." Right. You need to listen. If your father would listen to him, <laughs> if only he would your be father. So much but then you bring the brides and the new the the new to be brides and grooms and they come in and they're like clueless cuz they they, they don't think, see that yeah what, they're what? in la la land yeah. they're they're in we have the That's ideal another relationship another good movie by the way <laughs> yeah let's let's groove to that <laughs> but they are in la la land they totally are and you and then i don't want to seem like this pessimist like talking about you know, relationships are hard, and you got to learn to communicate because they're looking at. I've even said, "Can you think of an example where you guys had some some conflict?" And they look at me like, huh? "No, we just met four weeks ago." Conflict? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Oh. It's crazy. So, but later on, they'll be like, "What did oh, that guy say?" Yeah, I need that guy. No, and then they come, and then they see me, and then they're malleable and flexible, mm-hmm. and then we fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I think you should do it. I'm gonna. I should do it. It's just life is busy. Have you noticed? It is. Uh, everybody wants a piece of Matt Townsend. <laughs> that's a really weird way to put it. But absolutely. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's one of the reasons why I like you on the show because love you by the way on the show. Aww, thank Don't just you. like it, but because you always bring us interesting topics. Today you wanted to talk about um, these sibling relationships when we're adults. Right. And I'm interested in it for a couple of reasons. I have no degree in sibling relationships. But you have I have them. I have five sisters and one brother. Wow. Yeah. And I'm married into a family that has six kids. And in in my career, because I've been writing about this the same community for eighteen years, I've interviewed a lot of siblings. You know, and seen some patterns yeah. and been curious yeah. when I interview this entrepreneur and then the sister and then eventually yeah. I want to interview the mom to figure out how she raised these kids. That's a great one. And so that's been fun, too. So that's that's where my interest has come from. And then uh, I asked my Facebook friends for yeah. a little bit of ideas, too. So I have a few thoughts. OK, because the the deal is like I have three sisters. They're all older than me, but they all still treat me like the baby. Right. And that's one of the problems, I think. Like even like on a food assignment. Okay. They don't ever assign us anything, really. Like, hey, bring drinks. Uh-huh. And my wife starts to feel like, what am I, just chopped liver? Right. I could make a salad. I could, but then I'm like, be grateful. Exactly. We're not having to spend the money. Yeah. But they still treat me like I'm a punk. You're like the little brother. And they yeah. all are your mothers yeah. that know what Which you should bad, do and how you should stand. They and- make me special food and like, oh, here's your favorite. See, that's sweet. It's super sweet. I love that's it. Sweet. In fact, they should do it more. They should totally baby you. I'm just throwing that out there for Uh those sisters that listen. Mm -hmm. But so um, there is a downside, though. But there's, I guess, an upside. What's uh, what's your take on it? 
So I think that's one of the main challenges is that we stay stuck in our roles as children. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we don't let each other grow up and we still assume that we're the same selfish bathroom hog or whatever yeah, it was, yeah. you know, growing up. I think that's a challenge. And then also as adults, we start having different experiences. We have all these shared experiences from the past, but then we spread out geographically. We mm. make different amounts of money. We may live the values of our home of origin in different ways. Right. And so all of those things happen throughout the years. We marry different people oh. that bring in new there ideas. There might be a divorce. Right. And that is incredibly strange. That's hard. That's hard. So a divorce among the parents, that can change things, or among the siblings. Yeah. But it's all good and solvable. And I think adult siblings can be our best friends. I do too. They really can. And they almost have to be, right? I mean, they are... They're, you're connected. Yeah. And you're forever. eventually going to have to divide up parents' funds and property. <laughs> so keep relationships good <laughs> so that that goes well. Exactly. So some thoughts. The first one is, yeah, just let your siblings grow up. Let's be adults. Yeah. Let, yeah. And almost accept they're the new the new created them, right? Because they, right. they've all created something new out of themselves. Mm-hmm. But you want to hold them accountable. Well, you remember when you wet your pants in eighth grade <laughs> and you're like, what the? <laughs> Where did that come from? I mean, I am 45 now. Let's let that go. Isn't that funny how we can't find our keys, but we remember something from 30 or 40 years <laughs> totally. ago in detail, in what? exaggerated detail. <laughs> right. and, and also that's so negative for someone else. It's the yes. thing that we would love everyone to forget. Yes. The thing they said that we take out of context or... Do you remember when you got arrested for pot? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. Don't but remember that. But thank you for saying that. that in front of the entire family. Oh, that's so bad. Yes. Okay. So secondly is to spend time together. Yeah. And uh, if you live close geographically, that's a little bit easier. A lot of families maybe do a once a month Sunday night or family night type thing, celebrate the birthdays, right. rotate to each other's homes. Because I think it is cool to be in each other's spaces. No, it is. And to, um, that, to help, that tells something about ourselves. And to help raise each other's kids. Right? Yes. So I mm-hmm. see that um, like my nieces and nephews, I might have more influence with them than I might with my own kids. Or at, at certain times, like around marriage or after marriage, I, I might be able to do more, influence more, or on their career choices. Mm, that's There's, cool. Like I've had a – I have a nephew who wants to be a doctor and my wife's family are all doctors. So I've been able to line up my nephew with my brothers-in-law and uh, they get a lot. That's they, really they, cool. So my brothers – they, they're actually changing my nephew and his vision – they're giving him hope and mm. insight in how to go about med school. That's a it's, lucky guy. So we have this network, really. Mm-hmm. But if we aren't close or connected, then you lose the network. I think aunts and uncles can be very powerful because, like you said, we can say things. We can have those moments of influence because we don't have those other moments of, mm. hey, you took the car and you That's right. didn't ask or whatever it is. Right. You know, We're not their disciplinarian. We're not talking to them about money and curfew. Right. We can love them. And that is one of my, my tips, I think, for to strengthen our sibling relationships is to love each other's kids. Yeah. I mean, how, how cool to have someone else love your kids yeah. and show an interest in them. Call them by name. Show up occasionally to their right. game or their concert. That's huge. Send a card. We just my son just got had his thirteenth birthday, and he got a card from an aunt and uncle and all the other family. It was from out of state. Super. That's cool. awesome. I That's mean, awesome. And it, we don't we don't probably realize how big of a deal that is. It means a lot. We we always say it takes a village to raise a child. Right. But it also could it also could just take your whole family. 
And I think it does. And a lot of times, we, if we have a large family, sometimes kids feel a little lost, especially some of the younger ones, mm-hmm. where we've gotten burned out of sending birthday cards. Yeah. We were good in the beginning. Right. We know all those first nephews and nieces' <laughs> right. birthdays. And then those younger ones were... We struggle more. That's why it means so much when someone remembers them. That is something that I've struggled with is consistency mm-hmm. on nieces and nephews because yeah. I, have, I have a lot. And if I send one a little birthday thought, do I have to – or a card or whatever. Yeah. Is it, is, it, is it one or – is it everybody or nobody? <laughs> you know, well, that's yeah, tricky. That's the hard part, right? Right. But then it's – and you, you, yeah, you Mormons, you have this <laughs> big family thing going on. So mm-hmm. where do you end on that? Yeah. Except, except also, I would say no matter what, you follow like the prompting, right? So if you if you feel prompted to mm-hmm. send one, I would send Just it. Just do it. I wouldn't always think fairness. Right. Don't always think, oh, I forgot somebody last month, so yeah. I can't do this today. And by the way, it also doesn't mean you can only, you only have to do it on their birthday. Yeah, it might even mean more when it's not. That's right. Yeah. So I think getting your nieces and nephews' cell phones in your phone, that's a really easy way to say, hey, happy birthday, or I'm thinking about you, or so true. happy Groundhog's Day, or whatever yeah, it is. and get their birthday on your calendar, mm-hmm. and Facebook makes that easy. It does. Almost it really too easy. It does. I know. Sometimes I'm like, who's this I want to tell people, I knew it was your birthday <laughs> even before Facebook told me, just so yeah. you know. <laughs> it was real. You totally know. Again, we're speaking with Jeanette Bennett. Uh, she is she's just the all knowing, and she's today dressed <laughs> like um, like the greatest, the greatest show showman. woman. I told Matt we should change the topic because we're both obsessed with that. I movie. love that movie. I can't get enough of How it. How many times have you seen it? Only twice. Same. But um, I listen to the music every day. Same. And I'm probably I, I've decided I want abs. <laughs> like Hugh Grant. Is that his name? Hugh, Hugh, not Grant. Jeff knows. Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Hugh yes. Grant, though, was recently in Paddington 2, and he does a pretty impressive show and dance number at the end. Does he? That you need Ooh. to check out. But he doesn't have the same abs as Hugh. No. Hugh. Those are, those are some Hugh. abs. That's a goal um, for you there, I'm Matt. going for that. Yeah, work on that. One way or it's another. It's all about the abs. I mean, I don't care if it's surgical or actually <laughs> earned. I'm getting Must those have abs. the abs. It'll look good under your uh, I didn't know this sweatshirt. You got yeah, totally. My big baggy sweatshirt because I'm so cozy. Uh, one of the things that he used to dehydrate himself so that really? his abs would pop more in the movie when hmm. they were shooting. So he wouldn't drink anything for, for like a day. Hmm. I don't know that I could go without drinking something hmm. for a day. See, his abs, fine, good. Yeah. Uh, his voice, though. His voice That's is where great. I'm loving it and his yeah. acting. Talented. Mm-hmm. And just I hear a, a very, very decent man. I've seen some interviews with him and I've been impressed. You've, I've, you've, we, let's be real. You've stalked him online. Of course I have. Okay. I what understand. do you want to know? Uh, I think I know a lot already. <laughs> I bet you've stalked, stalked him, him too. the same way. Um, that's, by the way, um, he's, can you imagine, he, his wife uh, lives in Australia, I guess, but they're very close. He, that's what it seems like. He calls her, he talks to her, but, but here's the bigger thing. That's a weird dynamic when we get back to siblings because who your who your brother or sister who they marry is a really big deal. It is a really big deal. We have one son-in-law, incredible. Like I couldn't so have great. picked a better human being. Hit the jackpot he's, there. Honestly, he's perfect. So now the other people that come in your family, uh-huh. they'll have to measure up. And they, what if they don't? Well, and now they might not feel like we've they already ever got. Will. We've got another. I have five boys, and we've we've found another just awesome, perfect boy. I'm worried about bringing five girls in now. You should be. Because <laughs> this is scary because oh. one person can change the dynamic. And even that they just are who they are. 
But they are, and you can't you can't change. But them. you have to somehow, you somewhat like your in laws. It's true. One of the tips that one of my friends gave Phyllis Bester, she's yeah. the mother of Kurt Bester. Kurt, yeah. And I've written about her. I'm fascinated with her, and she's raised some diverse and uh, talented children. And her her tip that she shared with me was to embrace the diversity of of the people your kids marry hmm. and that your siblings marry. Just don't try Just to change them. Just say this is cool. You're different. You think complete opposite. Awesome. What can we learn from you? Oh, absolutely. And I liked that. That's great advice. I like that. Just to appreciate the differences. I mean, notice them for sure. It's hard not to notice them, but but don't see make it everyone conform to what it was. Adapt and make your circle a little bigger. Yeah, widen that circle. Let people in with their new ideas. I thought that was cool. That's really cool. Maybe easier said than done, but yeah. But still, a well, goal I mean, we should have. Especially, I mean, if the diversity is something that's illegal and unethical <laughs> or unkind, <laughs> it's harder or, to embrace. It's a little harder, you but, know. And, and people bring baggage, but you know what else they that is powerful. With our, our son-in-law, we love his parents, so we hang out with his parents. Mm, so it makes awesome. sharing a grandchild a lot easier, and it just makes life easier. But I, mm-hmm. you won't always be able to do that just because of proximity and stuff, but it's sure worth trying. That's a good goal. Yeah. Yeah, work toward that. Let people in. I really like that because um, that's another thing is don't – we can't force people or expect people to live the way we do. Right. Right? So um, if their parenting style is a little different – it's gonna, yeah. Then yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Let people be different. And it's back to your brother and sit. Like, what happens when you're at a dinner and your brother's not taking care of his kids? Like, hey, mm-hmm. can you make that kid be quiet? <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you? Your your kid keeps throwing. You're saying loudly, uh, nephew. Yeah. Uh, stop throwing the ball at the TV, your, please. Your, your child just pushed my child down. Yeah, uh, we've and we've had those moments where somebody. Got mad at somebody because they're chi- anyway. And then, yeah, and then the parents tense. are on two sides yeah. of the boxing ring. Yeah, yeah. As uh, much as possible, you want to avoid that. But when you're spending time together, those things are oh, yeah. going to happen. Yeah. So I think just kind of backing off, lowering the expectations, and forgiveness. I mean, that's huge in any family setting. As we're growing up, we have to let things go. And as adults, I think we have to let things go. That's part of letting each other grow up. But also, there's things that we're going to say and do as adults. That might be hurtful. Yeah. And if a friend said them to us, we'd probably let it go easier. But sometimes with siblings, we hang on to it more. Well, you should know better right. because you know I'm sensitive about that. <laughs> you know. But don't you think, too, and be smart, right? Like you you can go do a family trip. Okay. But you, it doesn't need to be a 10-day trip with extended family in one small undersized house. <laughs> With six families. <laughs> or an like, RV across the right. country for two weeks. Be smart. That, that is one of my thoughts, too, is healthy boundaries. Yeah. I don't necessarily think most families are meant to live in the same cul-de-sac <laughs> for 100 years. Right. That might not be good. Mm-mm. Let each other have their space. Um, sometimes I think it's probably healthy that even your kids go th- to different schools so that they're not lumped in with right. the other Oh, you're Johnsons one of those. Yeah, you're, you know? you're the other Bennets. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, Bennets are a big name in town. Are we? Yeah. I don't know. I know a lot of uh, – not a lot. I know a few Bennets that okay. you're related to. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And there's other Bennets I'm not related to. But I think it's cool for our kids to have their own reputations. Yeah. Uh, be friends with your cousins and love that. That can be as awesome as sibling relationships. But then also have your own reputation. Mm-hmm. So boundaries I think are important. And sometimes we have to express those. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a sibling that wants to get together every weekend and talk on the phone every day and you don't, yeah. then at some point I think you have to verbalize what your needs are right? and uh, hope everybody can respect that. Well, and 
respect your spouse's needs because they may need you to, you know, to somewhat cleave unto them. Right. And mm-hmm. not to your brothers yes. that you play video games with once a week. <laughs> Maybe what you ought to do is stay home and watch Netflix with your spouse. Okay. See, that's good. I, I just had that come up with one of my clients that mm. she likes that he loves his brothers, but there is a point where you need to be a husband and a father. That does come first and as you're an adult. During hunting season, you know, obviously it goes back to your carnal man where you just need to go get the meat. And so you obviously go back to your brothers and your father to do that. Obviously, for that hunting season. And there's hunting wives that I think handle that better than others. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you put a shotgun in anybody's hand and they become intimidating. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, a gun tends to change the way someone <laughs> you feel about someone, I would say. You're going where? I'm okay. just going to I was going to go hunting with the boys, but I think I'll just stay with you today, babe. Oh, okay. Well, with that gun in your hand, why don't you head on out? <laughs> I'll watch Netflix with my sisters. But that's 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 it too. But what about traditions? Like there's really cool traditions that have maybe been handed down I think so too. Yeah, one of one of my friends mentioned that they have adult siblings spread around, but once a year they get together and they do things like fix the food their mom used to fix. Oh, neat! And do some things that they have happy memories of, that shared memories. So I think it's great to keep those things alive, even if it's just for you know the one reunion once a year or something Mm -hmm. like that. But then also new traditions can be great. Start something new. Yeah, as as the parents get older, the siblings are the ones planning the reunions and hosting them at their homes and and all that. So new traditions can arise. That's a weird thing, too, when you have to take over the mantle of, like, having the parties and being the adult. I, I don't feel like I'm the adult yet. You're still the kid? Except pe- my children are now nudging me to, like, grow up and start holding more parties. Mm, hold out. Be the little brother as I long know. as you can. I just, like— uh, Get assigned the drinks. Just ride that just train. Let me, ride I'm it. trying to just ride the, tra- <laughs> the drink train. But there comes a point when you have more grandchildren and more kids that are married, your family will be— so large and, and have its own culture and traditions that it will be preferred yeah. to then, do then, your own thing. Then you like Super Bowl Sunday, we had our own deal, our own party, and then we just opened up our wings and brought in the grandparents. My mom mm. then came and was a part of our Super Bowl party. She came to your home. Instead yeah. of us going to mom's. Uh-huh. How'd just, that feel? It was better. It was awesome. Yeah. Because then I didn't, I could just stay in my pajamas. <laughs> Whenever you can do that, it's a good day. You don't have to drive, keep your slippers on. A lot of it's about what I have to wear. You like comfort. I really do. You're a comfort guy. My big sweatshirt. I do. I macaroni and cheese and Mm. sweatshirts. You like mashed potatoes too? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. See, you are the little brother. You're the little guy. No, no. But, you know, it's some aren't. Some are the old guy. Or like my sister, the old gal. (laughs) Which she hates me to call her. Wise. She's the wise gal. But then they, one other thing they, they have, my sisters have, and we have it on each other, is not just like a negative history, but my sister has context of me as a child right. that is really good for her to tell my kids. So you like that? That's a positive? Yeah. But okay, like not, not where I was like disabled and incompetent, but just where like I got in a car accident once mm. with my sister that was driving me. Okay. And... It was a big – no, actually, she, she – but she had this weird prompting to take me home mm, instead of driving me to where my mom wanted me to be driven to. Okay. But she just took me home and then she drove there and then she got in a car accident. Wow. And now she has the story that I was preserved by her 
revelation. Mm-hmm. So and she's the hero in the story. She's the hero in the story, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm the beloved. She protected the little brother. Yeah, and so then the precious the, prince. Then all of a sudden, everyone realizes that yeah, they shouldn't mess with me because. God's on my side. <laughs> God wants you in one piece. But it is fun for your kids to hear those stories. Absolutely. Don't you think? I love it. And and there might be story. We remember stories differently than our siblings yeah. do. Oh, so yeah. it's fun to have those collected memories. Uh-huh. I'll kind of throw them in the, in the circle and our kids can hear them. And to get the dates right. And, oh, that happened before. Oh, I didn't mm, know that. I didn't realize that. And that's yeah. how you felt. And we might remember it differently. The facts yeah. might be uh-huh. a little gray. Yeah. That's okay. The lessons are still there. But we probably ought to be documenting these. Yeah. This is important stuff. Get out your cameras. Get out your your phones. Document. Document, document, document. Jeanette Bennett's her name. And if you go to utahvalley360.com, you can see all of her handiwork. Uh, Multiple magazines there. But she's the real deal. She's the bomb. Oh, thank you. You're just saying that because I'm wearing my red shoulder jacket. I know. I love it. (laughs) And that whip, that whip was weird too. Is that a little strange? I'll leave <laughs> that, that was behind. That's kind of weird. Wow. Oh boy, there it goes. Hey, thanks, Jeanette. You're the best. Ah, thanks, Matt. It's good luck fun. on on your show today. <laughs> thanks. We will continue the journey up next. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation will be enlightening us. This is the moment you've waited for. You've been searching in the dark, your sweat soaking through the floor. Ah, there it is. Welcome back, folks. Uh, My favorite show, The Greatest Showman. And why we do it now? Because we're going down to the greatest, two of the greatest showmen on earth. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Do you guys like this show? Have you I seen it? I saw it for the first time on Tuesday night. Did you and tap your toe? Absolutely lived up to the hype. Yes! I still need to see it. I would oh, like to. Oh, Jared. What are you thinking? Well, isn't the timing of this poor? Like, they don't do the circus anymore, right? Or yeah, it's sad. Shouldn't it's they sad. have done this like a uh-huh. year or two ago and then everyone would be like, well, save the circus! <laughs> How would they say that again? Save the circus! Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, but it, it would have been, it would have been uh, great for the circus. Totally. Instead, it's like a year too late, right? Yeah, but the music now, is so good. It's so good, and um, then there's just so many great other ancillary or whatever videos on. It's awesome online. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them all, but super moving. Um, that's why. And I, when I think of the greatest showman, I think first of Hugh Jackman, and then I think of you two. I am pretty sure in that, that order. Hugh Jackman is the most versatile male actor in oh, all of Hollywood. From Wolverine to that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Quite the swing. To Jean Valjean or whoever else he played? I mean, it's he's... incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That dude can play Wolverine and he can play P.T. Barnum and kill it in both. Ooh. And in fact, here's the question for you Which, if you had to have somebody play you, who would you want to play you in your life? Uh, in your in oh, your biography, easy. Denzel Washington. Really, I don't see a resemblance. <laughs> Zach Braff would play Jerem Jordan. Hold on, I got to look that up. Who's that? He's from Scrubs. Scrubs. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Sarah's Michael Sarah or Zach Braff uh, would play Jerem. Yeah, yeah. What a what a fun, sexy time for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that he would play Jerem. He's great. Um, and who for you? Who would you have play you? Oh, Jude Law. Jude Law or uh, the late Paul Walker. Oh. 
Now, that would be hard to get him to play it. But Jude Law, I could see. <laughs> I could totally see. I would have Steve Carell. Oh, yeah. For you? Mm-hmm. Yes, Matt. Or of the, probably more appropriate would be Zac Efron. Okay. What, what do you uh, mean? You just out of line. What do you, what do you mean by Zac? Why was that out of line? I mean, he's got the looks. He's got the pipes. He's, got, he's ripped. Well, I guess in that way it matches up. Again, you're you're adding to our argument, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I probably if we're going by looks, it would probably be Danny DeVito. I'm going with yeah. Danny DeVito for five hundred. You'd be an Eminem incarnate. Dollars. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Hey, did you guys see? Um, I, I was out I yesterday. Looked like Danny DeVito. I didn't. I didn't get to talk to you guys yesterday. Um, but uh, the the signing day was interesting. Did you see that guy that was going to Alabama? Supposed to be going to Alabama, and instead he chose Florida State. Florida. Florida. No, yeah, Florida. And then his mom walks out on him. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's amazing, right? Like. Apparently they're not talking. They weren't talking before. Apparently either. Well, then the ESPN well, commentator maybe like, offered more money. Now somebody just walked out. Who was that? And he said, "That was my mom." That was my mom. Well, why'd she walk out? I don't know. It's a long story. She wanted. Him. I didn't do the dishes. She's All of her family are wearing Alabama gear, and he puts on the Florida hat. That is so funny. But you know what? That's why we have free agency. It's just to tick our parents off. Oh, how it works. it's so unnecessary. Hey, uh, what's on your show today? Speaking of free agency, well, we're we call doing, it moral agency. We're there doing the signing day synopsis, Matt. Mm. If you missed our two-hour special yesterday, shame on you. Shame on you. But we're throwing you a bone and bringing back the biggest headlines from yesterday's signing day and the new class of twenty-two BYU football Cougars. Sweet. Let's break down the BYU-Santa Clara matchup, why it's one that's been extremely favorable for the Brighamites. We'll talk to Greg Rubel, the voice of the Cougars, and ESPN's Roxy Bernstein in studio. Plus the picture of Greg that you won't believe. Greg Rubel. (laughs) Really? The picture of all pictures. Okay, is it a high school picture? the voice of the Cougars. It's before that. Middle school. It's before that. Oh, this is exciting. Is it going to be on our set? Maybe. (gasps) This is exciting. (laughs) Is it? Definitely worth sticking around for. Yes. Is is Greg going to be okay with it? Greg will be okay. We don't care. <laughs> I think he can handle it. Yeah. If he can't, then get out! He's a big boy. He can handle it. Yeah, Meanwhile, Matt, I want you to come up with uh, who you think is going to be the starting quarterback for BYU football because there are eight guys that uh, are in play going into the fall camp. I already, I already have a ringer and a favorite, Wilson. Okay. Okay. Ooh. He's my pick. Oh, wow, Karen, really? Karen's yeah. not going to like that. A freshman. I know. How are you going to talk to Karen? I know. I Mangum. I know. I know. She was here last week. I know. She's great. <laughs> I'll just, uh, yeah. Well, now that she comes in, I'll have to just avoid her. It's uh. calculated, Matt. It's cal- You're fueling the fire of the Mangums. <laughs> I'm going to DM her right now and be like, hey, no, don't, Matt don't. doesn't think. That <laughs> it's just, it just so happens that Zach Wilson went to my son's high school. Uh-huh. And I know him, and my kid played Little League sports with him. And I know his father and his mother, and it's just one of those things. And you guys are still friends because they love the U, man. Oh, they, were, they would love the U. They'd rather – no, I shouldn't say that. They would have loved to go to the U. Or they, he was going to Boise State. Yeah. We're so. glad to have him here. Utah, Utah signed an Elite 11 kid, so – yeah, no, that's yeah, it makes sense, right? It totally makes sense. Well, it's going to be a good show, I can tell. Um, and if you guys are on it, then it is the greatest show, men. 
BYU Sports Nation. Straight ahead. I thought you were talking about Wilson the volleyball. No. Zach He'd be Wilson, good, too. Zach, he would be, but it's volleyball, and this is football, and they're talking quarterback. Well, I think the dried blood would intimidate the other players on the other team. Yeah. It would terrify them. But again, it is a volleyball. Would that just creep you out to see a volleyball on a football field? Yeah. It's mm. just something not right about it. Know what I mean? It's just wrong. That's what it is. Um, well, you know, as we wrap up, we always like to dig deep into the files and find a hero story just to show you that there are heroes out there. Today's hero is a 13-year-old boy who's being called a hero for his quick action, getting behind the driver's seat of his school bus when the driver suffered a medical emergency. Carson Vega was taking the bus home from LaGrange Middle School in Texas on Thursday when he noticed the driver actually acting erratically. He was going off in the ditch almost with almost every turn, and then he started driving and swerving and stuff. The teen told the, the local newspaper, I, or no, no, local news, I noticed something was wrong. After his bus driver suffered a medical emergency last week, 13-year-old Carson Vega took over and drove the bus for more than two miles. Vega's proud mom uh, gave him a bug... Uh, gave him a bug during an interview about the incident. So Vega ran out to the front of the bus and got behind the wheel, kicking the driver's feet off the pedals so he could control the bus. I was like, I'm not dying here. So I jerked a wheel, he said, and Vega drove the bus for about two miles down Highway 71 over the bridge that crossed the Colorado River. Holy cow. When Vega was eventually able to bring the bus to a stop safely, emergency responders got on board and took the driver off. The driver was taken to the hospital where he was treated and is now recovering. Um, and uh, they say, you know, luckily everyone was was good. Everyone was safe. Vega's mother believes it's fate that her son was on the bus that day because uh, he doesn't usually take the bus. But he did that day. Saved a lot of lives. That is the hero of the day, Carson Vega. And we're grateful for him, but also grateful for anybody that's willing to step up and do the hard thing in the hard moment. We all need to do it at one time or another, which makes us all potential heroes. That's the show. We will be back again tomorrow. But BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.